Good day there, guys, and welcome back to the Blowing Cartridges podcast. I am one of your usually two and still two today co-hosts, Zach Clark, and that second co-host is with me, Brendan. Brendan, how are you today? Yeah, still a bit jet lagged because as some of our listeners may have known from another podcast that we're, well, I was going to say we're kind of related to, but we're not really. We've just, well, Zach's appeared on it as a guest and uh, we've had the host of that podcast on this podcast a few times. That's uh, Nintendvania with Josh. Uh, I briefly went to Australia for a wedding and uh, that coincided with PAX weekend, which I didn't really realise when I was planning that trip. And uh, I ended up in PAX for a couple of hours, which I'm sure we'll go into briefly in this episode. And then I flew back to the UK. So it's been a week since all that and I am still quite tired. So I'm enjoying life right now. Well, not really, but (laughs) we've got to keep on keeping on. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot for what may be very awkward because we have a guest today. Uh, That guest was also at PAX. How much time did you dedicate to seeing this guest at PAX? (laughs) (laughs) Good, like, well, I was only at PAX for about three and a half hours and I think I spent about 20 minutes talking to this guest and another of our (laughs) friends. So, well, you're the the math guy here. You're the accountant, so you can do the percentages there, Zach. But that's the proportion I'd spent talking to Locke. Pretty good. Uh, but yeah, that, that will, there it is. Locke is our guest today, uh, friend of the show. Locke, how are you going? Good, good. Uh, glad to be on the on the show. We are glad you are glad. Um, yeah, yeah, we were uh, obviously with this PAX-centric uh, intro, we are, uh, that's the topic for today. You know, not recording at PAX, sort of recovered. It's been about a week, I think, since it's finished, if uh, if my ability to count time is, is correct, maybe a bit over a week, of PAX 2023. And it's a bit of a special PAX because it marks 10 years of PAX being in Australia since the first one in 2013. Uh, so we thought we'd just do a bit of an episode uh, going over the show and our experiences and just sort of run through the history of it because 10 years is a long time. Uh, not many gaming expos in Australia have made it that long. Um, some are lucky to, to get a second round. So this is a bit of a special one. And I think all three of us have been to, if not every PAX, we've been to most of them, um, which is which is good. And we all have sort of different, unique ways of how we've experienced them, which hopefully will add for some fun context and stories. But maybe just like starting off, you know, Maybe start with you, Locke. You know, what is it about yep. PAX that you love and what's, or maybe don't love, uh, but why Why do you keep coming back, particularly for you? Because um, I won't say where you're from, but you have to travel a bit further than, say, me, who's who's based in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think PAX for me is just like a nice gathering of people who have like-minded, um, have the same passions and be able to be in an environment where we just absolutely can be ourselves without much judgment. Mm. I'm from Adelaide, so I travelled previously a lot to Melbourne to other conventions. And when PAX hit, I honestly didn't know anything about it. I've just so okay, three days of fun games and potentially meeting up with people, and then we'll see how it all goes. And it's just sort of fascinating to see how quickly those ten years have gone by. And looking back at it, you just seen you you sort of see how much you've grown, but also how the convention itself has grown as well. And you sort of make it like an annual event sort of thing. Something to look forward to. You know, I, I 100% agree. Oh, sorry, Brendan, you go. Oh, I was also going to say I agreed, which uh, that, that probably is one of the catchphrases of this podcast. <laughs> uh, no, I, 
I, I definitely echo Locke, particularly regarding how long it's been, that it has been over a decade. And I think we've all grown as people, but there's still some things that remain the, well, there's still things remain the same. There's still reasons why we want to go to PAX and enjoy it and why it's an enjoyable weekend. And I just reflect on the fact that in 2013, the first PAX, I was still in high school. That was the, that was my year wow. 12 year. And uh, <laughs> I, I just went to one day of the, of PAX because that was, I think, that was a couple of weeks before VCE exams for me, but that, that really goes to show you how long it's been that we've been going to PAX, talking about PAX and enjoying PAX. Yeah, I think if that didn't age you, when we start going over the years and what some of the key uh, things were at each of these PAXs, that'll certainly make us feel old. Because, uh, yep. you know, you look at the games that were there and you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> I guess that was that was current at that point in time. But yeah, I think I think you both hit it on the head, and I think the other thing is, you know, we Australia like we haven't we haven't been absent any video game conventions. Like we've had them from from a, for a few years prior to PAX. I remember e games was a thing that was uh, you know in Melbourne for a number of years, and, I, and even before that, I think most of us would have experienced a combination of going to like other pop culture events like Supernova or uh, probably at whatever your local anime convention is of choice. Uh, they go over yeah. there in Adelaide. You have like what, Avcon, I think is the... Is the we got Avcon. Um, and the other one was like your Nintendo Connection tours, which sort of died, yeah. unfortunately. Just gatherings like that, really. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was a lot of where we all first connected. Not only do we connect on, you know, Aussie Nintendo and, and online sites, but I mean, for me, the Connection yeah. tours were my way into that. Um, and I probably met, I don't, I never, I didn't meet you, Brendan, at a connection tour, I don't think, but Locke, I did, it was either a connection tour or like the 3DS at like Swanson Street or something on a trip you made to Melbourne. Yeah, those, most, most sure. potentially, yeah. <laughs> it's like a games, games event or something like that that I happened yeah. to be in Melbourne for. Most likely. Um, which one? Who knows? We're old. We don't have memories anymore. Uh, <laughs> no, some, some uh, say some Mario game. Yes, probably. But yeah, PAX has become a really good focal point uh, for all of us and a lot of people as that yearly tradition, particularly after it stabilized when it was coming. And, you know, I remember when it was first announced in 2012, it was just such a weird thing because, so for me, I did know what PAX was because I had watched a lot of the Penny Arcade TV docuseries. Um, so I had a bit of familiarity with it and Penny Arcade, despite not having really read the comic before then. So yeah, to hear that this big convention that had at least two shows at the time in America was coming to Australia as the first uh, and to date still only uh, international event was really shocking and surprising. Yeah, we're not, you know, if you told me England, if you told me China, if you told me Japan, if you told me even like Singapore or, you know, just all these other places with just seemingly higher, you know, population densities or at least more people can access them geographically i would have said oh yeah that makes sense but uh us tucked away at the bottom of, of the world uh <laughs> was a real real shock and uh, a very pleasant surprise do either of you remember when it was announced or having any particular sort of you know exposure to pax i know Locke, you said you hadn't heard of it but maybe brendan had you yeah. did you know what pax was <laughs> i definitely had heard of it because i we've just we've talked about this before zach but both of us were avid watches a screw attack at some point or another so uh, we yep. we're kind of in the u.s gamer culture milieu even though we weren't in the u.s we weren't there to go to those expos i think through watching content like that online you were always aware of those big conventions and cons and you're always a bit i guess envious that 
America had all these things going on. And yes, of course, it's a bigger population. It's where a lot of these games are made, that everything always seemed to have been going on in the US. You never really had anything going on in Australia. Though, before 2013, was there EB Games Expo by then in on the Gold Coast? Because wasn't the first one of those about 2012, 2011 from memory? I might be wrong there, I, but... I don't think so. I think Paxbabe came just after, uh, or before, sorry, EB Expo, and then that's when everything's sort of, okay, we need to do something, EB. Like, you know, nudge, nudge. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know the exact, because I've never been to the to the Gold Coast uh, EB Games Expo. Technically, I've only ever been to one EB Games Expo, which we'll get into at some point in this <laughs> yes. discussion. But I think one thing that's interesting to note is uh, EB Games Expo, from my understanding, this is as a as a J- XJB Hi-Fi person, because um, <laughs> I know for the game staff at JB Hi-Fi, there was kind of like this annual convention-y type thing that like all the, the video game publishers basically invited you to. You tried all the games. It was sort of like a here, get ready for Christmas and make sure you know what our product is. And from what I understand, I think the EB Games Expo was kind of like that had evolved yes. into let's also let the public in. <laughs> so I have just checked the great uh, database of Wikipedia. And yes, the first EB Games Expo was held 2011 Gold Coast. And it was the first time okay. the event was open to the public. So I think that okay, infers, so it, infers before that it was, like you said, Zach, purely an internal company thing. And it ran from 2011 to 2018, which we will go into the 2018 one, of course, as you uh, hinted towards, because whether that was actually an EB Games Expo or not is is a question. But I think to my point, we were aware those conventions started coming to Australia with, well, EB Expo being the first one, but being on the Gold Coast and as like you, Zach, living in Melbourne, didn't really think about heading up there to go to it. So PAX was really that first opportunity to go to a gaming-centred convention. And I remember rallying my friends together. And as I mentioned, we were all in the depths of VCE preparation for exams and the like. But I convinced about, I think it was a group of five of us that went in the end to explore packs on the, I think we we went on the Sunday, I believe. And that that was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, let's kick straight into it, maybe. We were, you know, we're already talking about 2013, which was the first packs uh, in Australia probably the weirdest of all of them and we'll, we'll go into why because it's the only one that's uh was at the royal melbourne showgrounds which if you've never been to melbourne not where i would normally think about having an expo no. supernova is there um it's, it's where the easter show is it's generally used for agricultural things yes pretty much and uh it's uh yeah basically one building being effectively a giant tent and another building being an actual proper expo kind of building that that made a little bit of sense but there, you know, then a few smaller buildings between them for for various panels and whatnot was basically the setup and a, and a giant hall uh, for for queuing. Uh, and as Melbourne tends to do, it was also incredibly wet that weekend because yep. again, unlike the future paxes, the date was I think in June. Uh, I don't have the exact dates in front of me, but I know it was like June, as you mentioned, Brendan, before your sort of VC exams are around that time. Which, yeah. Winter, not not the yep. usual spring. Not that spring means much for Melbourne. Uh, Melbourne, Melbourne. No. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, so Brendan, you went one day. Lock, I I think I know the answer, but what did you go all three days? If I'm not mistaken, 
No, I went on Saturday and Sunday. I think I was oh. in the middle of placement or something along those lines where I couldn't attend Friday. Oh, I didn't know. See, I would have guessed three days, so that I didn't know. Shouldn't, shouldn't, That's shouldn't. Right. <laughs> so did you, I know, you know, part of your PAX experience is catching up with a lot of friends that you've either met through other gaming ventures along the way. Was that something you planned in advance or were you just like, I'm going to go to PAX and I'm pretty sure uh, my people will be there? <laughs> I think there was a bit of both. Um, There's a good friend that I had, like, I stayed at his place a lot going to Melbourne, so we'd come accustomed to going to a lot of conventions and stuff like that. But me flying in, I think I flew in on the Saturday morning. So by the time I got there, I was already, like, six hours awake. <sighs> Trying to head to, you know, the showgrounds from the airport was probably more than I expected um, sort of thing. Mm. But when I got there, it was just like, okay, this thing is big. Let's just keep walking and walking and walking and see, you know, what this is about sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's really a key thing because I think probably similar to you. I had been to like, again, e-games and other expos. Like, to be frank, if if all you wanted to do was play brand new, unreleased, big AAA games, that's a thing you could have done in the past in Australia, particularly in the big cities. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I think as you were walking and walking and walking, you'd start to notice PAX is not quite, it's more than that. Um, and probably yeah. the key distinctions are, um, I'd say there's three. One, of course, is the indies, which, to be honest, I don't really remember massively in 2013. Do, do either of you have a, a strong memory of the, of the indie section? I don't, to be honest. I, I yeah, don't, I don't, but I think... I might be wrong, but it was 2013 they had the, what was that game called? The one that used, the indie one that used PlayStation Move. Joust? Oh, uh, Johan, Sebastian's Joust, yeah. I think that yeah, was yeah. there, from oh, memory. Yeah. yeah, that definitely featured a few packs even after that, yep. But I don't, I, I'm sure there were indie Aussie games, but I, yeah, could not picture the um, that section as I can for almost every other year. Mm. But probably what well, I know what was definitely there was there was the free play stuff, which is yes. yeah not something when you go to like an e games or anything like that. Or obviously, you know, if we're going to like connection tours, which are just sort of mall tours with with a bunch of typically unreleased games to play, not always, but mm -hmm. usually, uh, yeah, it was this massive free play area with you know tables of board games, heaps of TVs set up with what would have been you know what twenty thirteen probably like we use. Maybe and 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 you know Xbox 360s, PS3s. I would have thought back then, just just still on the cusp of before the the Xbox One and the PS4 were coming out. And again, the Xbox One we'll get yep. to for that particular yep. year. <laughs> yep. And at least for me, that was a really stark difference because it just meant there was this kind of like hangout space that didn't revolve around hanging in line and uh, you know waiting an hour to play. I don't know, like. Assassin's Creed number six or seven or whatever it would have been at the time. <laughs> did you guys, yeah, did you do much in the free play areas or were you sort of still very focused in on that sort of big expo hall area? Well, I just remembered one indie game that was actually there in 2013. Do you remember that 3DS game Fractured Souls? That was there. That was one of the indie show ga case games. In the I, don't, I, I don't, but I'll believe you. <laughs> it's, it, was that, it was that Australian made... Uh, released on the 3ds uh that has that ikaruga element where you change between polarities from blue to red as a platformer but anyway the two things i remember from pax 2013 like actually doing properly 
funnily enough, is firstly going in and seeing an Xbox One in a glass case that was just randomly, I think, in the entryway of one of the pavilions. And they just had this in plexiglass, an Xbox One with a couple of, like, Microsoft, Xbox, like, just staff wandering around this box. And it's like, oh, yeah, Xbox One's here, guys. But that was only for like a certain amount of time. Like there's a, a period where it, it would appear, and then for the rest of it, it would just disappear. Like you would just get that pexy box, and that was it. Oh, really? Because I, I remember only seeing yeah. it with the Xbox One in there, so I must have missed when it no. disappeared. Yeah, and they put like a little placard up, I think, saying that the Xbox One will return at like this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. But um, the other thing I remember from PAX 2013, so I probably won't be helpful about talking about some of the other things you'll go into, Zach, is uh, playing an Atari Jaguar for the first time, playing Tempest 2000. Mm. That's like one of the only things I remember from PAX 2013. Me and my friends, oh, yeah. trying to, we're trying to best each other high score on an Atari Jaguar. We're just thinking, <laughs> why are there all these number pads on this controller? Like, what, what actually is this? <laughs> But that 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 really sticks to mind about, and it, it goes to one of your points about what PAX is about. It's about going to the free play area. It's about playing some of these retro consoles you might have never heard of or seen before. That that is an element of PAX outside of your mm-hmm. playing your AAA games, playing indie games from up and coming developers, and, and socializing with your friends. So socializing with your friends and playing these old consoles kind of go hand in hand. So maybe less less not of that. That's including that, but. That's really core to the PAX experience. And what about you, Locke? Where did you sort of find yourself spending your time on that that first 2013 I, PAX? I think I was more overwhelmed and also actually happy the fact that video games were actually the focus of a convention rather than like cosplaying or anime mm. or whatever. It's just purely games. And it sort of also introduced me to board games more on a, like an, like a, not a mainstream level, but other board games that have been there that should be played, should be noted, but didn't have exposure because, you know, everyone goes to their own mainstream Monopoly, Uno, Connect Board and stuff like that. So that was actually quite refreshing for me. And it was great to actually learn something new um, that I felt familiar with at the same time as well. Um, oh, 100% I agree. Like board games, that was a gateway for so many people that year, I'd say. Um, yeah, so like now I've got um, a collection of board games which are sitting on my <laughs> shelf that, okay, one day will be played just like my video game collection. <laughs> so it's an interesting way of actually how this convention or the first one has actually, you know, introduced me to something so different but new or familiar at the same time as well. Yeah, I uh, I think we've had on a show previously uh, on an episode about board games QC um, I think you, me, and her are somewhat cut from the same cloth, but as with video games, her, her extreme uh, with board games also very... We've all lost a lot of shelf space and a lot of money. That's all I'll say. Yep, 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 pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I think that was... that was uh, You know, one thing that I always remember as well, in addition to just board games in general, was they, they gave away those free packs of Magic the Gathering, and I, yeah, a lot of people yep. that year, I know, got very addicted to... <laughs> To Magic the Gathering, I'm, I avoided it. Luckily, it didn't hook me. Um, I'm gonna have enough uh, cardboard cards of a different type that I waste money on. But uh, yeah, that that became like yeah. Friday Night Magic uh, was very common uh, amongst my friendship group. After that, <laughs> fair enough. And yeah, in the expo hall itself, we sort of touched on you know the weird Xbox One situation. I think probably again 
you know, you probably see this will be a feature of a lot of our uh, year retrospectives, but Nintendo had a big presence, which, again, Nintendo had been pretty good, again, with the connection tours and showing up at other cons. But yeah, probably the one interesting, well, not the one interesting thing, but the biggest feature at the booth that took a lot of attention was that Pokemon National Championship. I remember it was interesting because it was like, A, everyone was happy there was the National Championships happening. But B, there was an element of, I guess, the Pokemon community being like, oh, this is gate kept by a ticket to PAX kind of thing. Um, yep, yeah. <laughs> and the future, that would not be an issue because I think, you know, typically or well, pretty much every other time Pokemon had to split out and mm-hmm. do its own thing, which was probably for the best. But yeah, that that was a big part of the weekend. Did either of you watch much of that tournament? Or, or I'm assuming neither of you participated, given what <laughs> we're talking about. <laughs> no, sadly, I didn't. Like Locke, I did not. I am a complete neophyte when it comes to those things. No, that's that's fair. So neither of you were there on the Friday. But to me, PAX is, and again, this is something I'd learned from, again, learning about what the show was in America. Uh, it always was opened and with one thing, which is what they call a story time, where they bring in some notable person from the industry, typically to talk about their experience and their career, I guess is how it started. And yeah, that was the big opening sort of thing of the show for 2013 with Ron Gilbert, which was very exciting uh, given he's quite a well-known by name game developer, probably most well-known for the Monkey Island games uh, and other LucasArts games that he he worked on, sort of, you know, adventure point-and-click games. Uh, And I think that was the other thing that really separated PAX from other conventions I went to. Because, like, yes, even if I went to, you know, another video game thing in Australia, I get not seeing like these international developers that you actually had heard their names of, you'd seen in the credits of games you played. You know, you, you're you're pretty much getting at best the local Aussie PR person. Um, you know, that's yeah. about it. And yeah, uh, I, I assume you probably can't. Neither of you can comment on on that particular story time. Unfortunately, it was very interesting. I think it's worth checking out. Um, but I know in the future uh both of you at least attended future story time so maybe we'll talk a bit more about those in detail no you never have gone, I to, have a story never time, gone to a story time i've i but i do remember hearing about the ron gilbert one then that being one of the highlights i think particularly that one and the warren specter one were the ones that people yes. seem to speak about the most and sure there have been some other big ones over the years with some big names in gaming but it's particularly those two ones i remember people talking about yeah, and that's probably because they're probably, if I was to look at the list, which we'll, we'll touch on the others as we get through the years, two of the more video game focused actual developers, like lead developers with some very heavy hitting franchises under their belt. Now, the other thing PAX has, which again, not many conventions I've been to, was panels. Curious, uh, maybe Locke first. Did you go to any, were there any panels you went to uh, in that first year that you remember? Um, to be honest, the first one, I wasn't aware of any panels. So that's how little my knowledge was of PAX. So I walked past many people lining up for some odd reason. And then when I got home to Adelaide, I was like, why were these people lining up? And then the penny dropped. They were lining up for panels, like people talking. <laughs> like, damn, I wish I, I wish I had that time to actually, you know, look at the schedule and actually, you know, see what was of interest and actually listen in because it would be we did quite interesting as I found out in years later. So yeah, that was a big missed opportunity for me. 
Yeah, no, that I, that's that's fair. I think again, it's because because we just didn't know. If you just thought, oh, big yeah. game convention, you wouldn't you wouldn't realize. I did check out the the only panel that stuck out to me was they did a uh, panel on Killer Instinct because that had not come out yet, and it was with um one of the developers from uh gosh I'm blanking because that development studio swapped halfway through that game's life really um. So I know it was Iron Galaxy at the end, but I forget which studio had at the start. I think they ended up getting bought by Capcom or someone. There was one person from there, but primarily it was the composer of the soundtrack of the game, who I'm about to look up because he also did (laughs) Doom Eternal and Doom Mick Gordon. That's it, which um, people have probably heard of, uh, particularly with certain controversies around Bethesda and him. On Doom Eternal, <laughs> and I believe it was I believe Double Helix um, developed Killer. Double Instinct, Helix, yes, that's it. Yeah, went defunct. Okay, went defunct. I thought they might have been bought. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But yeah, one person from them and Mick Gordon. And the coolest thing for me, at least, was because uh, he was still working on the game. Uh, he needed some like chants, like some Gregorian chants, because for like one of the stages. So he that's where he recorded it. He got the crowd <laughs> to do the Gregorian oh, chant nice. for him. <laughs> um very so, nice yeah when you listen to that soundtrack uh somewhere in there's an essence of my voice <laughs> um sadly didn't make the credits uh but anyway uh but yeah that was very cool and um again it's probably just a one of those situations where and you know you become more exposed to it over the years like i wouldn't never have thought at that age because i was yeah i was out of uni which which makes me look old compared to to brendan here but uh you don't realize there were Australians still living in Australia and doing like mm. significant work on major franchises. Like you just kind of always think, oh, you got to be in America, you got to be in Japan, you got to be in you know England or something to to do that. But it was cool to see, yeah, an Aussie living in, I want to say Brisbane, but I could be wrong. But I feel like Queensland. Uh, yeah, just just composing music for what I thought was a major franchise and obviously even more so afterwards when he did the Doom games. But uh, that was very cool. Yeah, and I'm still struck by that feeling. It's like this uh, most recent PAX when I was talking to one of the indie developers and he mentioned, oh, I used to be a designer at Amplitude. I worked on Endless Space 2 and Humankind. And like the logical part of your mind thinks, well, yes, that's like we live in a global world. It's a global industry. Really anyone, anywhere can be involved in making these games but at the same time you still have this i guess implicit bias of thinking oh well these big games these notable games that people know about and talk about they aren't they aren't produced in australia they don't have anything to do with australia but it's and i think it's the value of things like packs is it very much breaks down those barriers that it, it makes you think that yes like we we do have a part to play in this industry. Like not you and I personally, aside from consumers, but as, as a country, as, as I guess the cultural and well, intellectual capital of the country, it does, it does influence and uh, make contributions to the medium we enjoy. And I think it's, it's worthwhile to celebrate that. 100%. Uh, Now, the other thing that I always, uh, this is usually the end of PACS for me, uh, is the Omegathon. So what the Omegathon is, is actually goes through the whole of PACS where they pick, I assume random, but, uh, you know, maybe not, <laughs> 10 or so people, or maybe it's more, I can't remember the exact number, but people to compete in a gauntlet of knockout rounds of various games culminating in the grand finale at the end, usually uh, sort of, uh, or the right term is commentated by 
the two Penny Arcade uh, founders, uh, Mike and Jerry. Uh, but yeah, they always finish packs with that. Um, and that was very cool. Again, having watched Penny Arcade TV, I knew they did things like a crane game before uh, to, to show how weird and wacky they get. Or they might just pick an indie game or they pick a retro game. They could be anything, right? There's the, the yep. possibilities are endless. But before I go into what the first PAX Australia's was, Rock, did you catch the Omegathon finale or was this another thing you didn't didn't know about in year one and only discovered in this, later years? This is the first one, yeah? Yeah. I, ha- I had to take a flight back home on, on that Sunday, so I had to leave early, unfortunately. So, yeah, I missed out, unfortunately. That's okay. Uh, I'll be the only one to reminisce then, because uh, Brendan, <laughs> you were saying before you haven't been to any Omegathon finals that I that I'm aware of. No, and I think uh, to go back on the previous discussion point, I think of all the packs I've been to, I've only ever been to one or two at most panels. So packs for me has always been about going and playing games and well, seeing the indie, seeing the triple A's, and hanging out with friends. So I guess panels and Omegathons just haven't really fit in the equation for for partly because of that and partly like Locke, often for whatever reasons i've either not gone in on the sunday or like this year had to run off on the sunday afternoon so just haven't been able to be there in the room to watch it no more than fair so i'll touch on this just very quickly first to make in australia uh for the finale they had uh jenga giant jenga to be specific which again very fun okay. and the very perfect like game for this kind of thing because as you can tell so usually each day they do a series of rounds knocking people out and at least for the first you know whatever many rounds everyone knows what games they're going to be but it is a real random assortment so this is a kind of tournament that tests your general aptitude as a game player uh and that's why i think jenga is just such a good finisher because it's like so simple we've all played it but then high stakes on stage yeah it's intense (laughs) Was this the same Jenga that was on the like on the grounds like during the days? I think I think I did see it, something. Yeah, so so there was giant Jenga around for playing in, in just if you wandered the show in the board game area. Whether it was the same set, I don't know, but it was at know. least very similar set to that. But yeah, that was um that was just again being in a crowd of you know what hundred something people watching Jenga and screaming was uh, something I hadn't had on my. Um, cards for what i thought i'd do with my life but there i was all righty so we've done it 2013 apex happened and at the end of the show they said we'll be back next year which is always nice to hear sigh of relief these things Mm. often can be (laughs) short-lived well and i I think that's an important part to talk about actually because being there for 2013 that was sort of it was part of the there was a specter overhanging the event of well will this be a thing that continues or is this just a one-off that 2013 is the only going to be the only year and maybe as you hinted at earlier maybe it would have jetted off to like japan or in england or be like a roving international packs we didn't really know at that point so i think uh, and i remember from the coverage and people talking about the event afterwards that that was a big thing when they said oh yeah we'll see you next year that it started to click with people that yes this might be a prolonged ongoing event you know it was that was that was very exciting and i mean that'll It'll fit in well into an intro to next year because uh, 2014 at uh, second packs uh, no longer at the showgrounds uh, now oh at the I think fairly recently complete Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre you know 
lovingly known as Jeff said shed in by the by the locals, uh, but had just been under a massive reno and expansion, I believe. That that entire back part that a lot of packs like not the convention center or not the I mean the the exhibition hall itself. I think that's pretty like from the nineties, but it's that like some of the features in that entire back area that was all redone. Yeah, a hundred percent. And uh, you know what that also got sort of confirmed around that was there was a multi-year contract with PAX to be there, which is very good because I think the other thing, again, selfishly, Melbourne, um, <laughs> that was was concerned was it might stay in Australia, but it's going to move to Sydney. <laughs> like that, that's something that had um, always been on our mind. Um, I don't know when, and maybe this is where Brendan's fact-checking will come in handy, but at some point Sydney did get RTX and I think even EB Games Expo went to Sydney for a bit as well. So Sydney had a red hot crack at a few semi-major somewhat gaming, well, EB is certainly gaming, RTX is gaming, but with like just YouTube overlay, I guess. I don't know. Um, Rooster Teeth Expo to be um, for those not familiar with the, the weird acronym. Uh, and they're searching it and wondering why, like, did NVIDIA have a, have a, have a expert here? No, they didn't. But yeah, so back, uh, shift in the time of year. Uh, if I recall, this one was on late in October, sort of start of November. So a bit different to where it's sitting in the last few years, but, but again, a big shift from the June, you know, more into that spring weather, which was appreciated. Also didn't really matter because, the convention said it was completely indoors, which was nice. So, first question to you both: Did you both return for 2014? Were you return customers? Uh, you know, Brendan, you would have been. Were you still in high school, or is this your like first year uni? Yeah, this was first year uni, 2014. So I did return, though. I think like 2013, I only attended for a single day. I went on the Saturday with a group of friends again. Say, I think a crossover of the friends I went with in 2013. And what about you, Locke? Did you book a flight and make your way over or drive, I, drive I, over? <laughs> I, I, I booked a flight over. I did return. I've been to every single one that's been in Melbourne. Well, that's all of them. Yeah. But I think I, I think went for, for, for three days, but I don't quite remember too much just because it was that distinctly different to the first one. But also you don't seem to remember your second one sometimes. Yeah, I, I somewhat agree. 14, I remember less than even 15. Uh, for whatever reason. And luckily, I mean, I took some photos. So I, I've sort of, before the show or before we were recording, I was like going back over my photos, trying to like see what things of note. And luckily I did take some shots of the expo hall. Uh, probably the th- things that now stood out to me after seeing them was uh, some of the Wii U games that were there. Splatoon was probably for me the biggest one that was there because it was the first time playing Splatoon, uh, for me at okay, least. Yeah. And I- sure almost all of us if we played it at the show which was just cool because i mean you don't see many big new nintendo ips uh often uh certainly not a big feature of a show like that and it was probably i can't remember when splatoon came out but i feel like splatoon was still like not that close to releasing i feel like splatoon came out probably a few quite a few months later i don't think it was like a christmas game or anything that year i think it was like a early the, the year after game which was nice. And also, and this is where like time warp, like, blah, like it was when the new Nintendo 3DS was shown off for what I could see photos of, which like, that's just, 
yeah, surprised me that it was that was the year that was shown off because I feel like was that I, I felt like that was way later in the life cycle, but maybe it wasn't. <laughs> like I don't know, my mind is like spinning. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at 2014, and the Switch came out in 2017, so that mm. sort of lines up a bit. I feel. Yeah, it, it probably was. It's just like one of those things where I didn't feel like it was that long ago, but I guess it is. Yeah. And that was pretty cool because obviously Australia, obviously we were weirdly coming to like, why does why do we get special treatment every now and then the first country to get the uh, new Nintendo 3DS before America, Japan, anywhere. Nowhere else got it, yep. that side of, of um, the holiday. So it was, you know, everyone's first chance potentially in the world. I'm not sure. I'm sure some media elsewhere had got a chance to try it. But, but yeah, to, to see that screen, see the, the tweaks they made to it, I think that yeah, actually, I'm looking at my my photos now. They had all the face plates on display. They also had a lot of amiibo on display because I think that would have been the year Smash 3DS uh, and uh, Wii U were also coming out. So amiibo were just starting. It was um, yeah, <laughs> it was a lot going on in the Nintendo part of the Expo Hall, to say the least. That jog any memories for anyone? No, <laughs> I remember. I, I particularly remember Splatoon. That was the first like. Of course, being a Nintendo fan, you and that's how we know all. That's how we all know each other. But being a Nintendo yeah. fan, you see all the announcements of Splatoon. It was the new big thing for the Wii U, like one of the only, I guess, new IPs. There was a bit of hype around it, and to actually get your hands on it and play it, and for the demo to be so entertaining and, from memory, pretty polished. And I remember having to, I had to convince the friends I was with of, oh, we should line up and try this because. Oh, I'll I'll go into that a bit um, soon, but that was that was sort of the packs I realised that I was better off sort of just going on my own and seeing what I wanted to do, and then hang out with like catch up and link up with people that I knew and could find on the show floor or playing board games or the like afterwards, and just getting through seeing the games I wanted to see. But getting my hands on Splatoon and playing it that that is one of my packs highlights throughout all the packs I've been to. I must say. It, it was a great experience, and I and I loved. I have loved all the Splatoon games that have released on Wii U and then the Switch. What about you, Locke? Did I did I jog any memories there? Or um, yeah, the the only thing I remember is just walking through and seeing that new 3DS for the first time and all the amiibos. I don't have any um, interest in Splatoon and never did, but I was like happy that there was a new sort of genre for you know a Nintendo franchise. Like I'm not an FPS person so that's probably why but i remember like you know all these new products coming out okay we've we're getting it for the we're getting to see it for the first time like as, as you said before most people so the buzz around that was actually quite good but yeah i, I don't remember too much unfortunately and i might be wrong but i just had a weird memory that floated back to the surface was 2014 the year that they randomly had at the very front of the expo hall the um cards against humanity and there was all these lines of people lining up to get cards against humanity i think yeah, i would might have been i think i think so i think so i do remember big um cards against humanity as you said at the front it's just like you know a big black stand with cards against humanity and that's what i remember but yeah yeah no i think that's right the other big thing that i because you just mentioned lines and that absolutely blew a um a core memory out of my because uh, uh, in my brain and I was like, "Whoa, this thing that happened!" So, 2014, back in February, and I'd have to Google this to confirm. Uh, there was a big phenomenon uh, called Twitch plays Pokemon, 
uh, and then follow that through to PAX. So one thing I hadn't talked about, because I actually didn't really get into this until 2014, was PAX, similar to anyone that's been to Disneyland, they stole basically the concept <laughs> from Disneyland of, of these trading pins that you put on lanyards and stuff. Typically, you buy them. Sometimes you can get them for free. These days, more so buying. The free ones have seemingly gone the way of the dodo, thanks to yep. I don't know, inflation. But uh, the, one of the big free ones that year was the Helix Fossil pin with the Twitch booth. And this will be something we talk about again a few times with certain pins. But it was like, it wasn't something you just line up and get or, you know, play a game and get. It was like, randomly at this time, come to the Twitch booth. We're going to give away X amount. And that became a big focus for me and a few friends to get our Helix Fossil pins being Pokemon fans. you got to get the semi-Pokemon related pin, of course. Yep. And I remember, I can't remember which day I got it, but I remember getting to the spot, the person pulls out the pins, madness. It's just like people swarming them <laughs> and grabbing them. And I vividly remember a dad and a mum with their probably like less than one-year-old baby in their arms getting into the crowd. And oh. I'm just thinking, do not do this. <laughs> like that is just, <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, that was brutal. Got to trade your firstborn for the Felix uh, badge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, out of interest, is I know neither of you are like me who collects a lot of pins. But had you started looking into any of the pins at that point, or not not a not a thing on your radar yet? Um, for me, the weird thing is that I remember seeing pins on the first packs, and I bought them, um, and I don't know why. Like I, bought them. <laughs> I remember, I remember they were like thirty plus dollars for like four pins, and I'm like, why am I buying this? Like, and then I've, I've still got them, so I somewhere somewhere in my in my room. But yeah, I just remember like this being a yeah, like you said, a ripoff of Disney, but also this is an American thing. So, you know, all my money is going to, you know, an American um franchisee or company or whatever it is. And then I think it's slowly grown that okay, I'm more aware of it, but I still don't have I'm not like you basically, where I've got I've yeah. decked out with all these <laughs> shiny pins, uh like a disco ball going through the convention center or anything like that. That's probably yeah. smart. I think anyone that saw or came across Zach this PAX would have seen his three lanyards all full of pins. It was like, it, it, it was like, he I think was, we heard him coming. It was like he was from a rap video from the 90s. It was, it was a lot of bling. Yeah. I, I, uh, it's, it's always a conversation starter. But what, what I will say, because I won't talk about pins every year other than maybe one of the year, it's quite relevant. I think what I like about the pins, other than they look nice sometimes, is is there is a bit of like a connection and a the, the trading element, which I quite enjoy. Like this year, I was I had a really cool moment as I was leaving on Saturday, I want to say, where there was a bunch of people, kind of like a flea market set up with like racks of pins from America. They're all Americans looking to, to trade. And yeah, just chatting with them. And then like I managed to trade some of my like spare Aussie pins for like some, some Mario Kart ones. And my favorite one was the, um, in America, the Pokemon trading card game booth had pins this last couple of packs. Uh, and yeah, I was yeah. able to trade a good amount of pins to get a, um, Fue Coco with some trading cards on the, on the pin, which. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that's the kind of thing that, like, I enjoy those interactions quite a lot. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. You can just buy the pins. You can just wear them. You don't actually yeah. have to talk to anyone or trade. But I think that's the kind of thing that makes it more memorable. Um, I guess you've got like a story behind it as well, um, that how you acquired it and now you're sharing that with us, which is absolutely great. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, but 
you are right that 99% of them, it's just like, yeah, I, I paid money for yes. this. <laughs> that's, and that's why the <laughs> Twitch plays Pokemon one as well is uh, the, the Helix fossils more interesting than, because there is an effort. There is something you have to work to do to get them. And yeah. there are a few pins like that over the that years. You, but, you killed five uh, that, people to get your pin. Yes. Yeah, that baby was no. Yeah, no, I didn't kill a baby. I swear. Uh, <laughs> also, I didn't realize Twitch plays Pokemon. Australian person did that. Didn't know until hmm. I just googled it. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, may- maybe that's why it was at Paxos. I don't know. If it, I'm sure it was at other Paxes, but um, interesting little thing. So again, going to the quickly, just to the two sort of bookmarks of Pax, at least for me. So story time was Pete Hines, who, if you don't know Pete Hines which I didn't <laughs> until I saw the story yep. time marketing guy at Bethesda, basically, but like not just like random marketing guy that's there for three years and moves out, but he's pretty much been there since day one or maybe not day one. But he's been there for a long time, been through and, and is quite well known apparently in the American industry. I think for me, that was still interesting because I, I, you know, I love games, not particularly good at most of the disciplines needed to make a game. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I always enjoy hearing, people in the industry who are in roles or jobs that my particular skill set has I, I feel more achievable for where I'm at, I guess, in terms of what I've studied. Not that I studied marketing, but it's a bit closer to where, where I currently operate than um, coding or doing art or music or anything like that. But yeah, that was interesting. I uh, assume neither of you, I know, Brendan, we said you didn't go to any of them. Locke, you didn't, didn't go to see Pete Hines, I assume. I don't think I did, no. Yeah, no, it's, again, fair, because I think, yeah. as, as I said, I wouldn't have known who it was. I only went because yeah. all my friends went. <laughs> <laughs> and then lastly, the Omegathon uh, finished with, and, you know, again, showing the variety, combat on the Atari 2600. Again, such a good way to end it, given it's such a weird, simple retro game. Again, Locke, was this, was this one you, you checked out or not, not on the... Nah, I the, missed this one as well, unfortunately, mate. Sorry. That's all good. All good. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it when it comes to 2014. I think, again, the big story was that move to MCEC where PAX to date has continued to go to. And, you know, I think it's such a good venue. Like the fact that it takes up the whole thing plus the uh, side with the theaters, it uh, just, yeah, works quite well. I can't, can't imagine sort of how it work almost anywhere else anymore um other than yeah i, de- I definitely agree yeah because i've been to sydney's convention hall or whatever it's called and it's big but still not quite i don't know just not the same <laughs> <laughs> um but that's probably bias all righty uh 2015 and i feel like this was a a reasonably big pax as well um i just realized i put the helix fossil in my notes in that year but i checked and it was the year before so yeah 2015 this is an interesting year for me and Brendan because our uh, how we experienced PAX in different ways shifted a bit. Uh, so maybe we'll start with you, Brendan. You this is was this the first year you sort of went quote unquote as media? I don't know why I did well, quotes. This I'm was sorry the only only... disrespect you there. <laughs> 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 this actually, yes, so, make it sound sus. The only time <laughs> I went as official media. So this was a year I had a media pass for the three days. I believe I. I think I missed the Saturday because I had something on for memory, but I was there on the Friday and the Sunday, or maybe I was there Friday, Saturday. But anyway, I was there two of the three days and I was there with another castle, which is the website for the three of us know each other through. Also the predecessor of course, as well that we've discussed previously. But 
this was the year I was there with uh, Case and Danny, who was a cameraman, and and Richard um, Cabal Scorpion, who was also involved in our, well, as you said, quote unquote journalist media team, and uh, <laughs> we we did a, quite a bit of coverage. So it was mainly of we interviewed some indie devs. We interviewed some of the panelists, though I believe the one we did with panelists on video game history, the file corrupted, so that never really existed. And then we did, um, we just roamed the show floor and did interviews with some of our people, the Another Castle people, um, some cosplayers, and it was just a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And as you said, it was my first time there doing it, experiencing PAX in that way. So it's quite different. You don't really... Well, I still got some time into queue up and play some of the big AAA games, but at the same time, it probably solidified why I didn't go and experience panels, why I didn't go and do some of the other, like a megathon, some of the other PAX um, experiences and uh, activities because I was busy recording content, lining up interviews, trying to play indie games and identify ones that we, um, developers we wanted to interview. And I think... Out of all that, the highlight, and I think it was, it's our most, still our most watched video, it's still on YouTube, that we ever put out as Another Castle was the interview Case did with his friends from South Australia that developed Hollow Knight, because that was the year Hollow Knight was one of the indie showcase games at PAX. And I'd also argue that 2015 is really the start of a lot of the big indie games that we start to recognize and remember from PAXs that Hollow Knight really started a trend that I think more and more people were interested every year going to PAX to see well what are the Australian indie scene doing at the moment what what are the big games what are the notable experiences that are on the horizon and I and it from my experience and memory anyway I think from 2015 onwards you really start getting the indies growing every single year year on year there were more indies the space got a bit bigger I guess the scope and ambition of the game start to increase. And that's really become one of the core parts of PAX. If we looked at 2023, that I'd say wasn't particularly there in 2013, where as all three of us admitted, we couldn't really remember any of the indie experiences that were there in 2013. No, I, I, I agree. I think that's certainly when I started noticing the indies a lot more, Locke, how about you? Was there anything in that 2015 that you recall or stood out for you? I think the big thing for 2015 was that uh, VR was actually becoming more mainstream. People were talking mm. more and more about it. And I think the PlayStation VR also, you know, um, actually having a uh, platform that people can actually utilize that was actually quite good. Not just, uh, you know, your Google or Cardboard and all that sort of thing, but something that was more premium. And, you know, more realistic and all that sort of thing there. So I remember just looking or seeing a lot of people just being in their own element, but also from an outside perspective, you look like a total idiot in a sense, if, <laughs> if, if I can say that. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the big – but I also remember how dense that show floor was um, with a lot of cosplayers, um, you know, people just roaming around. And you're literally – to get from one side to the other, it took you like half an hour without, you know, and you needed to have some effort behind it as well. So 2015 was memorable in the fact that it was there was a lot going on and you had to plan your time properly in order to get as much done as possible. Yeah, no, it, it was a lot going on. Uh, I think there were a few other than obviously you mentioned the PlayStation VR was there, which was very cool. 
Fallout 4 featured there, and that was the first year. I forgot there was two years this happened. We're in the queue hall. So for those who want to go straight to Expo Hall at the start of the day, they have a giant queue hall where you can line up, and they usually like throw some giant beach balls around. You play a bit of a game or whatever to kill time. But they also handed out these Pip-Boy masks, uh, which were very creepy, and a lot of people wore them, and you just would walk around Melbourne all weekend and see people with these like lifeless blonde figure masks <laughs> on, which was very, very cool uh, and creepy, but very cool. And probably a running theme as we get through the next few years is Bethesda's sort of continued to have a prominent presence in packs in one shape or another. And then, yeah, for the Nintendo people, uh, it was, I was looking at photos and it was like, it was a bit of a, like, the stuff, but nothing that was, like, great. No. <laughs> it yeah. was like... Yeah, most definitely. This was the death period of Nintendo, I'd say, because the Wii U was kind of died. Well, the Wii U died on arrival, but it, it, twenty by 2015, it was, we were, we were all waiting for the new console. Yeah. And the 3DS was, well, it was old by then. It was, well, five. Yeah, what, five years old? And yes, you were still doing all the street passing queues. You were still doing all that. But if you think about big 3DS games in 2015, most of them had already hit by then. We There wasn't really anything on the horizon we were waiting for. Yeah, so I'm looking at a photo of the booth I must have taken and I see Yokai Watch, which I guess yep. hadn't been localized at that point. I'm seeing Zelda Triforce Heroes, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good game, but it's not. It's the game the most people... No, not the best. There's a Mario game on the screen, but I think that might have just been some, like, competition they were doing, and it was probably just New Super Mario Brothers U. I don't think it was Mario Maker. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. No, and then I think they did have Mario Maker on the screen that year. On like Okay, maybe screen. it was Mario yeah. Maker then. Yeah. Could, could have been. It's, it's hard to... Hard to. I mean, it, it's unfortunately the photo I took was, like, the New Super Mario Brothers art style, so, like, could have been either way. Not sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that would have probably been the most interesting thing. I don't think it was you could play it, though, from memory. I don't recall playing it at PAX, which I would have no. if it was And there. I think they had, like, NES Remix from memory. Yeah, I see Skylanders with the Donkey Kong that year. And probably the most depressing is Mario Tennis Ultra Smash. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I only got to assume Amiibo Festival maybe was somewhere there as well because that would have been that year. But anyway, let's the less said about that, the better. Um, just because you mentioned it, Brendan, I do want to quickly touch on Street Pass. It's not really exclusive to PAX, but God, during the 3DS era, that was such a such a big thing for so many people. Well, it's how most people got their Street Pass quest and puzzles done. Like, we, we, we were lucky enough to well, have commuted through metropolitan Melbourne on a day-to-day basis. So you actually picked up a lot of street pass in the heyday of the 3DS through that. But there's a lot of uh, people and some of our friends we know that came from more more remote or country towns that PAX was really the only time that they would really see their 3DS light up with street pass that they'd actually get people connecting to. And that was a novelty in itself that they'd be able to churn through the street pass quest, be able to collect all the puzzles they were missing and to experience an element of the 3DS that I'd argue one of the elements of the 3DS people look on to the most fondly and wish that it would come back in successor Nintendo consoles. I agree. Now, Locke, you put a couple of fun notes here, which I, I wasn't sure if I was going to read out, but then I remembered both of these people have been on our podcast before, so I think it's fair game okay, that, yes. that we can bring okay, it up. Okay, <laughs> okay, fair enough. Go for it. It's not my, it's not my identity. It's theirs. 
Or maybe, or maybe Brendan put the notes there. Somebody no, did. I, um, that, that was me that put it up, but no, I'm, I'm in red. Okay, you're red. That makes sense. Okay, cool. <laughs> I, I figure out the system now. Well, yeah, first off, this was something that happened to me, but I remember I was asked to pick up somebody's ticket. I won't say who because that person hasn't been on the show and I don't know if they want to be associated with me in public. Um, <laughs> They're my, they're my cheese dealer, which will mean something to you too, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if they want to sponsor, if the cheese place wants to sponsor the show, we'll, we'll take it. Uh, <laughs> just send me some, some cheese every month. But anyway, they said, oh yeah, I need to, because this was one of the weird years where I think either, I think it was Harvey Norman was selling PAX passes. I don't know why. Oh, okay. But they were. And they're like, oh yeah, I needed to order a pass through Harvey Norman, but can you go pick it up? And I was like, okay, sure. So I did that. And then I, went to like give it to them but then like dave who has been on the show before i can't remember what his episode was about but anyway he's been on the show at least once we before, talked about former... next gen consoles for memory <laughs> that's right yeah and um former would you say editor-in-chief of of another yes. castle he was. Know, he was he was like editor the, the head yes. show. yeah who had sort of like verbally claimed to not be coming because similar to you lock he's a he's an yes. adelaide yeah, uh, person. Um, yeah, he was because there. Because <laughs> effectively, I think there was conversations beforehand where he basically said he couldn't make it because we could have tried to get yeah. him a media pass, but he he was very much saying, "Well, he wasn't going to be able to do it." So he told the three, well, the three of us who got media passes to go get them. So we did. But yeah, then he he rocks up. Yeah, and he rocked up, and it turns out I'd just been tricked. The pass was not for my cheese dealer, but it was for um, for Dave, uh, which was a very fun surprise for almost all of us, I'd say. Oh, all of us. I don't, I don't know who wouldn't have uh, enjoyed that, but if, if they're out there, they can speak their piece in, to Dave personally. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was cool. So, again, just one of those things where it's, it's nice when you – it's always nice when people return. Not everyone comes every year to PAX, particularly if they're not from uh, – melbourne and even then not every melbourne person goes every year because yeah things that was cool and then yeah uh lucas who was on our gamecube retrospective retrospective uh yeah also a, a, a well-renowned i don't know he's a cosplayer but he does very i think more amusing cosplays very good quality not not like bad pulp cosplay but just like also always funny i would say is my my personal view <laughs> Yeah, he went as, and I'm blanking, it's the guy from Ghosts Arthur. and Goblins. Is it Arthur? Yes. Yep. Uh, but not in his suit of armor, but uh, what happens after you get hit, which is just uh, Arthur in his, his love heart uh, boxes. <laughs> yes, which, which I believe it. he hand-stitched. If he hand-stitched it, I'll, put, I'll give him more credit for that. <laughs> yeah, versus just buying a pair off like Etsy or, or eBay or something. Yeah, if, if um, you yeah. want to dig into the depths of my... Uh, X account, formerly known as Twitter. I think there is a photo of me and him from that PAX. I forget exactly what years he went as certain things, but I remember he's done the Grim Fandango cosplay, I'm pretty sure, at PAX before. I think that was the year before. That would have been the year before. And then in the future, because this game hadn't come out yet, uh, I know he does... Like, he's in a cosplay, kind of a... Like, he does Cass, kind of, with his accordion, but I don't know if it was, like, full-on cosplay or more, like... No, he just him. he does. So he's done Cass, he's done Arthur, he's done Grim Fandango, and he's done um his um Monkey Island, and he's done Zangief as well from Street Fighter. Yes, Zangief for memory. Yes, I remember yeah. that as well. Yes, and maybe a Luigi from Luigi's Mansion with the vacuum cleaner. Yeah, yeah. I remember, mm. I remember him saying that his boots would cling him 
at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I, I probably have seen that, but I can't remember that one as well. Like Grim I think Dirt that might Fandango, have been the first one. That that would have been smart. That would not have been the year to go as Zangief or Arthur. That first pack's given the no, 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 no. I've checked. He did. He did Zangief in 2015 as well because he had the two. One day he was Arthur, and then he was Zangief. He had both. Ah. Oh yeah, was had that bearded set up and bald head. Yes, and all it all blended in perfectly. <laughs> but yeah, obviously, you know, we sort of every every time we touch in a year, it's fun to talk about certain concepts that are present. But cosplay. Like any convention, massive at PAX. Uh, ne- none of us cosplay, I don't think. I've never, ne- not, no, yep, shaking heads all no, around. No. We'll, we'll no, have sorry. to get cosplayers teased for a future episode, but we'll, we'll have to get someone who knows about cosplay to talk about that concept uh, in a bit more detail. But yeah, it is fun as an attendee getting to see cool cosplay. I, I you know, one of my, I love seeing, like, uh, I remember the Blathers one year, I've, there was a cool, you know, Snorlax this year. That kind of stuff's mm-hmm. always just uh, fun to get photos with uh, and some just impressive talent uh, by so many people. Yeah, so to the to the bookends. Um, story time this year, as Tam alluded to before, Warren Spector, um, probably most well-known for Epic Mickey. No, uh, well, yes, but uh, <laughs> I was going to – Deus Ex is probably the real real answer there. Epic Mickey 2, particularly. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think, was is he also, no, he's not System Shock, that's Ken Levine. No, he was um, he was one of the Thief games as well, I think, Thief. Thief, that's Thief, right, yeah, Thief I knew it was three, another, I think. another immersive sim, as they say. But yeah, again, this is this is probably in, in similar vibe to Ron Gilbert, you know, well-known American game director, very opinionated as well, like he has very like strong opinions like he I, I just remember him basically without this is much cruder than how he put it but he was basically saying uncharted's trash because like why just make a game that's a movie tetris is good you can't like experience tetris in another medium was kind of like his key yeah. takeaway i had from this thing okay. <laughs> and i'm sure you can find talks from him online if you are interested and then the omegathon final again probably the only nintendo one that we've had kind of i mean there's been other stuff on super nintendo but anyway we'll get to that but uh yeah tetris and dr mario was the finale that year which i've never actually played i don't know oh sorry it's dr mario no actually here's the weird thing i have a photo and one photo the logo says dr mario and tetris and the other photo it says tetris and dr mario so i have no idea which is the correct order i think it's tetris and dr mario because you play tetris twice and dr mario right in the middle so ah. this is the this is the megathon that I did attend, and I played this game to death as a kid. And I'm watching these two guys play, and I'm basically backseat driving. I'm furious. I'm <laughs> no, you need to go here. You need to do that, and all that sort of thing. I'm just like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And then they're just basically killing themselves. And I'm like, okay, I, I better not, you know, do anything crazy. So you know, to hold to hold back was like very hard. I remember, like, I'm not the best at either of these games, but I've played enough yeah. of them that even I recall being like, they're making some really poor choices here. <laughs> like, particularly yeah. Dr. Mario, I felt like it was just like, their, their pill placement, ugh, just, just atrocious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but again, very cool, very different to the previous yeah. years. And again, probably like, 
I know you just said you played it, but I reckon a lot of people would have never played this crossover. And I think a lot of people didn't even know it existed. It existed you know, like we all, yeah. yeah, like Tetris and Poyo Poyo is a bit more well known these days just because there's been two of them and it's recent. But um, yeah, never never got another crossover between with with Doctor Mario. Sadly, maybe maybe a you know Tetris Doctor Mario ninety nine will come in the future. <laughs> then you can Ooh, use your, well, we'll your skills. <laughs> You, you do Tetris, Dr. Mario, F-Zero, then Pac-Man. Just join them all together. Why not? And then just Super Mario 35 as well at the end. For yeah, just for a, a bonus re-release. Yes. Alrighty. Well, kicking on through to 2016. Yeah. This, I feel like this was the first year, and I could be wrong, but they started doing those, like, photo, like, a big item at the front of packs to show. Because we've got the note here about the D20 dice, and that's certainly the first one I remember. 2015 had the warp pipes, I thought. Yeah, the warp pipes were there, but were they? I don't think they were at like they the were front. Like the middle. They were like in yeah. the middle of the hallway. Yeah. And I don't think they were like PAX themed. Where this is the first year with a big PAX theme. I think, I could be wrong, but I don't, I don't have a photo of something in, in 2015, but a big like standee type thing to take a photo of, which would become mostly a feature for the rest of, of them, I think. Which was cool because as we go along, I mean, over time, you'll start to feel like the packs start to be a bit more thematic. Um, we're probably not quite at the point where the whole show feels like it's got a weird theme um, or not always weird, but a theme. But uh, uh, the first few just felt like this is a convention. Um, but then they start to do like this year where this is the vibe. Yeah. But that was, you know, a cool thing to... And it became like just a fun thing to think about in the future. Like, what are they going to put in the um <laughs> in the front? Yeah. Other than that, though, I don't have a lot of strong memories. I don't think of twenty sixteen. So I might throw to either of you to to kick off with what you recall. Zelda was um it hit its thirtieth year, so there's this big massive montage on one of the sides of Nintendo with all the history of Zelda. I'm not a Zelda fan, but I, I did appreciate the fact that they made some sort of presence. With that sort of thing, I can't remember what game was on what, what came out that at that time. So, I'm having I'm having a look. So, at my photo in my photos, there was a Breath of the Wild standee, which I don't think the game was there. Otherwise, we would have remembered that. Yes, but yeah. it was like a a um, rusted master sword you could pull from the uh, I don't know whatever you call the thing a sword goes into. And then there was a Pokemon Sun and Moon like stand with a giant Pokeball as well. Yeah, and that has jogged one memory because, and actually, this goes back to 2013. Every every Nintendo would sometimes have these panels where they had like pre-recorded like an interview with the developer just for PAX Australia. Um, I think in 2013 it was like Animal Crossing New Leaf, and that was like one of the panels you had to queue up like three hours in advance just to watch a pre-recorded video of like two Nintendo developers. Yeah, okay, it's a bit odd. Um, I remember they did one this year for Sun and Moon as well because i think the big thing they they talked about was like hi australia we made a koala <laughs> oh yeah i <laughs> do remember game. that yes i do yeah <laughs> it was like a 20 minute video for some reason and they made a big deal out of it um okay here's a new pokemon it's just your furry bear basically you drop there yes and, yeah. uh... <laughs> i think this is the year that nintendo also went big with their pins i believe they had a switch pin a zelda one which wasn't like officially affiliated with PAX, I don't think. But they started doing more theme of a PAX-like sort of thing. Yes, you're right. Because I've got here, one of us has here in the notes, 
Oh, was that this year? No, that was later. Later on, I remember they did some something cool with, with one of the Zeldas, actually, we'll get to. But yeah, they, they eventually started doing official Penny Arcade collabs as well, which would, you know, I think once they started it, it was pretty much every year there would be some sort of game um, you could buy pins for, which was cool. But you're right, the Nintendo booth also did their own pins. Um, in fact, one of the pins I traded to get Pokemon pin was like a My Nintendo pin that I had spare because the guy was explaining oh, yeah. to me that my, my Nintendo pins in America are like crap. Like they're just really bad quality. The ones in Australia are good. So I don't know how true that is, but I'm going to take him for his word and assume we've got the better My Nintendo pins. <laughs> yes. But I think to echo the points you two have made, I've just looked past, looked at the blog post I wrote on PAX 2016, which is, I don't think, available on any website anymore. But uh, it's on my personal <laughs> Tumblr that I'd never actually tell anyone what that Tumblr is. But I didn't mention anything Nintendo in my write-up of PAX 2016. It's I played games like For Honor, Halo Wars 2, and uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. So... I think that that puts into context the position Nintendo was in in 2016 and also some of the other games that are out there on the show floor from the big AAA publishers that particularly, yes, Sony was pushing Horizon Zero Dawn quite a lot because I think that that released that year from memory or maybe it was early 2017. I'm not a... It would have been Horizon Zero Dawn launched like days before Breath of the Wild. So that makes sense. Like it was showing at that PAX before Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild, not at PAX because no one had played the Switch yet and they probably couldn't be bothered letting us play on And they had, um, (laughs) and apparently (laughs) according to my notes, Sony had a photo display for The Last Guardian and they were handing out these Last Guardian pins. You you couldn't play The Last Guardian, but that was still about two years off from memory, but you could could take photos with the big Last Guardian animal thing that I don't even know what it's called because I've never played. The Last Guardian. For the best. Um, no, no, that's a bit harsh. God, I was so excited for that game, and it was cumbersome. Uh, but yeah, that's that's something that you'll see a lot at PAX is, is these kind of like photo booth and that's about it kind of things, which it's not bad, but yeah, certainly not as exciting as having the game there and, as well. And interestingly, <laughs> I'm sure we'll touch upon at the very end of this episode, but has disappeared in the last two years with the, I guess, the departure of a lot of the AAA developers, the, the people that do turn up, yes. they turn up, they turn up with games, they turn up with demo kiosks. They don't do the whole. Oh, here's a here's a video of the game that is coming out in five months, but we didn't bring a playable demo. But you can sit in a box and watch the video, which I I, I did a few times in my early in my early years in packs before Ooh. I realized that it was kind of a waste of time and I could just watch these videos probably on YouTube. Yeah, well, if it makes you feel any better, uh, that was the year I went to E3, and also that's a lot of what E3 is, is line up or get a media appointment to sit in a box and watch someone play a game and talk, tell you about it, <laughs> which was quite the um, revelation to my childhood dreams. Uh, <laughs> and, and, oh, how unfortunate. And also, if we probably should pivot a little bit, Zach, and because uh, you hinted at it, but we never touched upon it. What is it like enforcing at PAX? That's a good point. Yeah, I've completely skipped yes. over my own experiences. So yeah, I think yeah, I think that's a big deal. Yeah, let, let's focus on that for a little bit. Yes. So 2015 on to 2019, I guess I enforced. So what is enforcing? That's it's always hard to talk about it because it's changed. But it's it used to be I would used to say it's the volunteers that work at PAX and um, 
They wear yellow shirts in Australia, different colors for each packs. Uh, and you'll see lots of them running lots of things from, uh, I'd say primarily the free play areas, uh, but other things as well, manning the merch booths, directing you into lines and into panels and all that kind of stuff. Kind of, you know, often you said the backbone. You know, I started in 2015. My first area was the console free play area. So basically just people would give me their driver's license. I would give them a game and some controllers to go play. And then hopefully they'll swap that back afterwards uh, if, if, if they valued their license. And then after that, I moved to the handheld lounge where I sort of stayed uh, and, and climbed the ranks, which is which is a good fit because for me as a Nintendo person, the handheld lounge is kind of where our brethren mostly mostly went for our 3ds tournaments and then later switch and you know just chill vibes um chill cozy nintendo vibes yeah it's good i mean it's what i've always say to someone is if you're going you want to go to pax but either a you're not sure whether you want to spend the money b you don't know many people or anyone going those are two good reasons to go because you get your pass for for free effectively other than, I guess, at the time, the cost of your, your shifts. And you also um, just have this inbuilt community, right? Like you'll be on shift with people. They're people you can connect with and experience the show. And they're all people that are passionate about the show, which means they know what's the cool stuff to do. Um, so it's definitely worth looking into. That said, things have changed. In 2019, it became a paid thing, which I think is the correct thing, I think, before that, it was effectively unpaid labor. Let's just call it for what it is. Yeah. Um, that had been a feature of PAX in America for a few years for similar reasons. I think, yeah, the, the equivalent of the Fair Work Commission there gave them a bit of a rap, and so they started paying people. Also, why Australians and other foreigners could not, after that point in time, actually work at PAX uh, in America um, because uh, work fees and stuff are way too much effort for a minimum wage job for the span of three days. But uh, yeah, it was it's fun. Uh, it does take up a good chunk of time, um, so you, you don't get to experience everything, but you get to experience something you wouldn't otherwise. I mean, for me, what I loved was running tournaments. Um, that's something I did in university a lot, uh, and I loved coming up with weird tournaments. Like I did a muscle march tournament when I was in university, which is always going to be the highlight of my tournament running <laughs> career. But you know, at PAX, it was you know again, particularly with Nintendo handheld stuff, it was. The stuff like doing an Animal Crossing New Leaf tournament or doing... Um, Sendring Kagura Beach Volleyball. Yeah. Well, yeah, one year I had spare medals. So I, 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 it was it was a bunch of people I knew around. I'm like, what games do you have? We're just doing a, um, doing a tournament. And I even remember one year, um, actually via Lucas, but somebody um, had a pretty bad experience in one of our tournaments. So... We had spare medals, so we ran a I ran a one two switch tournament for them, and um, mm-hmm. that really flipped their packs around from I think a really bad packs to a good packs. They drew me a nice little note, which I keep in my fridge. Um, little mm-hmm. you know, thank you. So I appreciate that. And that's the kind of thing I loved was like those smiles of someone going like, "Oh, this game that I love, I get to like connect with people." Like the the Animal Crossing one, like every year, it was the same people came back. Like, they all said hello to each other. It's like, I haven't seen you since the last packs. Like, you can just see there's, like, this connection. Um, Mario Kart as well. There's always, like, a few particular people that had these rivalries formed over getting the, the um, fastest speeds in the time trials. 
probably some of those ended up winning this year's Mario Kart tournament that was that was at PAX, um, or at least featuring in it. But yeah, it's cool. And and you know they do the other good thing is they do a bit of an after party uh, on the Monday. The first year was the best. They did at Luna Park. Uh, was it the first year? Oh, wow. I think so. That I was there. Yeah. So they closed Luna Park and we all mm. went there. Um. So the rides were just going for anyone to rock up and and go. There was no like food or drink you got i think maybe one drink or something but like it was more focused on the rides and then afterwards uh it moved around from like the beta bar and a bunch of other just venues around melbourne basically but yeah it, it's cool um again different a lot of the people doing it from what i observe these days or new people you've got kind of like two tiers you've got like the lifers who have been you know they're they're people with kids and family they've been doing volunteer or you know convention work for a long time um but then there's yeah a lot of you know younger people uni students and stuff who are doing it because again it's it's financially the only way they're going to get to go but as i said it's a great way to meet people so if you're someone who's like i want to meet gamers i feel a bit too shy just approaching random people at pax which is fair enough i don't think i'd you know other than when i'm waiting in line i don't really just talk to randoms (laughs) at pax very often but this is where, you know, you're at least forced to spend a bit of time with, you know, three, four, five, six, however many people. And it's just a good way to connect and and feel a part of it. You know, I think I'm done with enforcing. I think I'm at the point where, I don't know, I'm just tired <laughs> as a human. Uh, <laughs> um, work in, is hard enough. I don't need to work on my time off um, is basically the 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 point i'm at but again when i was sort of in that post-university stage i was sort of missing the um the joy of like again running community events and that kind of stuff it was an easy way to get back into that without having to do the full planning work of you know sourcing consoles and tvs and making tournament schedules with with a lot of pre-advanced planning it was just more like we'll figure out the schedule on the day uh and let's just pick a game and like hope the rule set makes sense (laughs) So yeah, that's you know generally my my thoughts on enforcing. I mean, mileage varies. My friend did merch one year. He was there to like half past twelve at like at night folding shirts. So like that's probably less fun. Mm-hmm. Working in the expo hall, walking around and just like yelling at people for not wearing wristbands or their passes, or parents for leaving their kids at the indie section while they went off to like some completely other part of the expo hall. <laughs> and the hope that the indie devs will just babysit their children not you know maybe not as fun but um you know, teach their own quiet taste some people love that stuff <laughs> uh out of interest is that something you either of you ever thought of doing or it's just not something you're you're that keen on yeah i've, I've personally never really considered it lock no i worked in video games for a bit of my lifetime so i i'd have that connection with people but as like with you, when I'm in the uh, the show, I don't really reach out and talk to people unless they're in line or, or to the exhibitors and stuff like that. I just I think I find more joy in the fact that people are in their element and enjoying the show for themselves and what sort of thing. But there, yeah, that's something that I've never crossed my mind. I was like, yeah, thank you for sharing what you've experienced, and I always wondered what the other side was, rather than just yelling out at me because I'm not wearing my pass properly. <laughs> <laughs> swear to god no next time um but 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 the other thing is i mean that i won't go into full detail but it's it's interesting where you start to see the cracks Mm. like even now even though i don't enforce there are a lot of things where i i can see how 
the certain issues with the sheriff come into play to manifest with certain things being the way they are, um, which is just fascinating. Um, again, I won't go into them in detail, um, and obviously they're different every year. It's also the fun memes. I don't remember which year it was, and you guys might because it wasn't exclusive to Enforcers noticing this, but there was like that one year with a dude that had a real live rabbit on his shoulder. Do you guys remember seeing him at all, walking around? Yes, I do remember this. this. First I've heard of I it. don't remember the year, though, but I remember it. Yeah, I don't. It might have been 2015 I, or something. I think it was, it was 15. It was ages yeah. ago. Because we had to get really strict afterwards about, like, only assistance animals. <laughs> Even though I think there was always a rule, but, like, <laughs> yeah, anyway. But, but like, the added layer was the guy, if I recall, he was basically, like, trying to, like, solicit cosplayers to do photo shoots for him. And with probably, you can sort of guess the level of seediness of those photo shoots were most likely going to be. So um, it became like a big thing of trying to kick him out, yeah. as you can imagine. Uh, and the bunny just didn't help being an extra reason to kick him out. Even though the bunny, I think, was harmless. I don't think it bit anyone. But um, everyone was like, is that, a, is that a real rabbit? It's like, oh, it is. Uh, <laughs> is that supposed to be here? <laughs> yeah. Uh, is, this, is this just a cosplay? I don't know. Um, but people like that can blend in pretty easily with, with all the cosplay. And the other really funny one was one year I was working night shift in the handheld lounge after it had moved. So handheld lounge used to be in the part of the expo that uh, you had to pay to get into. Now it's for a long time been in effectively an area anyone could walk into um, for free. Mm-hmm. And I was there at nighttime and just some like random drunk dudes came in because they were probably at a bar nearby. And the, we were right next to the speed running stage which which basically the same setup as it was this year for anyone that went i just remember having to like go into slack do the emergency signal because i'm like these guys are about to like run on the stage like i could tell like i could see them talking i could tell what was going to happen and then like in five minutes probably like 10 other enforcers came out of like these areas and we just like basically penned them in like in a circle basically and they like herded them out like sheep yeah literally it was like that so like we just like formed a like a circle around them and then just guided them to the door uh as best as we could because yeah they were they were probably like you know a good like 30 seconds away from like we're gonna bomb rush the um speed running stage which the speed running stage if you don't know it's like a lot of speed running events just a charity event that they do at pax and is just a good good way to kill some time and watch some speed runs Mm -hmm, definitely so yeah, those are some fun stories you get to get to experience, um, which uh, I guess you could probably experience as an attendee, but you're just more as an observer and not as an active participant. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, you were you were in an intimate community. It's a ready-made community of the enforcers. Which yes, yes, you can say all attendees at a PAX is one big community, but it's not really the same. You don't have those connections. Yeah, I mean, what there's like. I think they said this year 80,000 people went to PAX, at least that's what the ABC News said. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 pretty – it's a lot of people to to have one united. We're all just different. Like, we're, we're the same, but we're all different when it's that many people. <laughs> but, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's my enforcing experience as I said up to 20, 2019, which uh, COVID killed that, which we'll get into. But uh... <laughs> Do you think you would have finished up if COVID hadn't hit? I probably would have given it another run, um, but it's hard to say. I think I think COVID, like for many of us, it sort of made you reflect on how you use your time a little bit mm. more carefully. And I choose to use it more selfishly uh, and just go to the show for my own accord. <laughs> hey, I'll still be there. 
Yes, that's good. Um, what's the thing? I mean, I said this to you guys this year. I mean, with so many of you traveling, because I, I, I often missed out on a lot of that post-pack stuff you guys did yep. when I enforced. And now, you know, after last year, it was really good getting to hang out and even this year. Um, I think that was, it's worth it because, yeah, no. not I still, you know, that fear in me, this show is going to end one day. It's, we're not going to have this thing that brings people all together every year um, unless one of us decides to, like, rent a, you know, cabin in the middle of the woods and we all gather and and get our gamecube land adapters together and, and play mario kart or something but um i yeah, i wanted yeah. to do that this year by the way maybe next year <laughs> it's always an option just come to my apartment you'll be all right i'll get you sorted <laughs> uh, i've had some dodgy gamecube apartment experiences but we won't go into that that's for another you day have, you, haven't, you haven't been to my apartment no no i haven't so yeah, you're not the dodgy gamekeep apartment experience I'm referring to. I think I know the one. Yes, well, I think we uh, all know the one. <laughs> uh, inside jokes, great for podcasting. Anyway, I'll just quickly finish off 2016, and then we can keep powering through. 2016, Major Nelson or Larry Herb was the story time. I think again, this is probably one that was quite cool for people because not that I'm a big Xbox fan, but if you are a big Xbox fan, he's kind of like. I don't know, he's just like one of those famous people you like that are cool to see if that's the brand you're into, right? Uh, which is nice. You know, I think that's, that's again, one of the draw cards of packs. Other conventions could not get someone like that here. And you also don't have to pay like $200 to get an autograph from them, which um, certain other conventions will do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Comic Kong, cough, cough. Yes. Um, <laughs> Supernova, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> And then the Omegathon ended with, I think it was called Cowbots and Aliens, only because I had to Google what the that, Cowboy That's familiar, yeah. Yeah, which is basically just a VR game coming back to VR, really starting to take off every year. And I think probably, if not this year, the year after, we started having a VR free play area, which I've never gone to, but it's, it's good that that exists. But yeah, basically just like a like shootout in a saloon as robots and an alien in VR, which is silly and fun, and again, it really was very amusing to watch. <laughs> yeah, the contestants were very terrified when they announced it. Like, okay, this is going to go down really well. <laughs> yep, um, I'm glad glad neither of them, as far as I know, got motion sick because that could have been a disaster, just like <laughs> vomiting on the stage. <laughs> All righty, twenty seventeen. One of my favorite PAX memories is from twenty seventeen. Yeah, there's a few good ones. Well, why don't you start there with your favourite PAX memory of 2017, Brendan, since you've, since you've kicked it off? <laughs> sure, I don't know if either of you did it because it involved, I think, a two, three-hour-long queue, but you could play the demo of Sea of Thieves on the Polly Woodside boat that sits outside the um, Jeff's Shed Convention Centre, which is part of the Maritime Museum, which is next door, that part of Melbourne. And, uh yep. Sure, it was just playing the CFEs demo, which released later that year, but just playing it on an actual, well, 18th century boat was a was a great experience. <laughs> and I just remember lining up, and I um, I ended up playing with the people I was lining up with that I had, I'd never met before, um, never met since, and uh, they were just big Star Citizen fans, so they were telling me all about, oh, yeah, I spent all this money on my Star Citizen ship, which is ironic considering we're what? Six years are six years later, and Star Citizen still has not released. Oh wow! Okay, that for me is one of those great PAX memories that I, I just I can only imagine how much money Microsoft shelled out to the Maritime Museum to have access to that boat. 
I hope they do that again if there's ever a similarly thematical reason to do so. Yeah, I definitely wanted to play it because uh, I'm a big Rare fan. But, uh, yeah, the, the queue that year, and again, a forcing, I had less time than I uh, normally would have, um, killed that for me. But uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it because that, that is cool. Like, the thematics of the boat with the game is is too good to pass up. <laughs> yeah, because you, you just you, you lined up, you eventually got up the ramp onto the boat, you went into the into the bows of the boat and they just had the Xbox One demo kiosks set up in the boat with with screens, of course. So like the convention hall, but you're in a boat. What about you, Locke? Was there anything about 2017 you, you strongly remember? I remember like on the first day of PAX, missing out on those Skyrim scrolls and like and yes. everyone that I was with was like, okay, we need to get there early to the next day because they've only got X amount. And all that sort of thing, and I'm thinking, like, why am I wanting one of these when I don't know anything about the game? <laughs> uh, st- still did it, still did it. I think I still got the box somewhere, but I'm not sure where that is. Yeah, we got up there some ridiculous time, and I think we were one of the first five to get it. And then we were like, "This oh, is wow. too early," so we are going to go get some breakfast and then come back. Yeah, that that became a the Church of the Sweet Roll is a bit of a meme that's lived mm-hmm. on in PAX uh, lore after that, the the many boxes of them. Um, and I think in the next year, one of the years afterwards, they started doing the Sweet Roll pins as well. Okay, yep. Which were just as sought after, I think, if not um, <laughs> more than the, the, the actual, actual Sweet, sweet Roll. <laughs> yeah. But I just remember, like all these empty boxes of these sweet rolls, and that they're sort of like piling up. People making towels out of them. People wearing them. Um, it just sort of took over the show. Oh yes, yes, I remember as well. And it comes back to that. I said Bethesda, their marketing, yeah. regardless of what you think of their games, always made for a good meme. <laughs> well, and it's it's like we um, talked. Well, did we mention 2015? They had the uh, the Pit Boy. Masks every yeah, I did. I, I did. Yeah. I did. Yes, yes. And I think yeah. that just goes to show how good their marketing is. That you saw that everywhere that packs, no matter yeah. what you were doing, whether you were on the show floor playing a game, lining up, going to a panel, you just saw people with those masks on their heads, and like you can't beat you can't beat the Bethesda marketing. Yeah, I mean to be fair, if you're given like if you're giving away free stuff, people are going to eat it up, like, literally. <laughs> That is true. Like pe- people love the freebies. There's probably less freebies than there used to be, but uh, yeah, God. Yeah, I miss those days. All righty. Yes. Uh, again, shrinkflation. So the other thing that was big about 2017 was we started to see guests that weren't just about the story time. Probably the two big ones that year uh, were Cheese TV, who were making a bit of a comeback with their podcast, had a big panel one, I think the Saturday evening, but can't remember exactly mm-hmm. but also jesse cox from a uh, big youtuber from america uh most originally world of warcraft now a bit of a, a variety one um and probably a lot of people discovered through his podcast with uh total biscuit and dodger which i forget the name of the podcast because it's obviously not been around for a long time but yeah like again these kind of more like comedic personalities that have reasonably sized followings having um having shows and also drawing people in. I think Cheese TV in particular, I remember. I didn't actually go to that panel because, I don't know, Like I, I loved Cheese TV as a kid, but I just never really latched on to their like, revival stuff when they came back with their podcast. 
But yeah, were either of those people or, or, or things think like something that you guys were interested in at all or didn't didn't really register for you? I was aware of the return of Cheese TV at the time. I remember they were doing a bit of a social media push around that era before they launched the podcast and realised that there was still a fan base for them. I think there was clearly a realisation amongst the, the people putting it together that, oh, we can actually make something out of this. There's still people that like us, but I I didn't go see them at PAX. I was aware they were there, but as I said previously, I, I've never really done panels or those sort of things at PAX, so I miss them. Yeah, I was. I went to it um, only because, like, I grew up, um, you know, watching the little segments in between TV shows as I was getting ready for school and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So remember, just seeing the whole cheese TV, like, I flashbacks of like of those the the screens and all that sort of thing, and then them interacting with other people and just just having that sort of like re- retrospective view on on that sort of thing. Like, they they probably didn't do as much as I thought they did back in the day. Like all they did was just talk and then put on a TV show and then you know come back when it was done. Um, but it was just fascinating to actually um, hear from them, actually see them live. Um, something from my childhood as well. And they, I think there was a smaller gathering than I thought there would be, but the the interaction was actually pretty good. I wasn't aware of any podcasts or any revival they were doing at the time. I just saw Cheese TV and I was like, "Yep, I'm making time to go there and see how it is." You know that's. That's fair. And certainly that year, as a result of that, I had more people I knew go to their first packs because of them, I think. Okay. Yeah, which was interesting. Like, I had a few friends that had never been to a packs go for them, and one for, for Jesse Cox, who I did go with him to that panel because I did watch um, him, or at least the podcast he was on quite a bit. And he's quite a funny person. Um, yeah, if you sort of watch like Game Grumps or like, I don't know, those kind of like that crowd on YouTube, he, he sort of crosses over in those sort of spheres um and that was quite a, i just remember it being funny but i couldn't tell you a single joke that was said because again it was 2017 <laughs> and that's like six years ago <laughs> yep. one other big thing which is not really pax related but was uh and is commonly happens in some ways was uh that was the same weekend mario odyssey came out which um was big for a lot of people i know uh, i went to the midnight launch with a bunch of you Yep. I know we had, I, I remember there. having, yes. the, we're probably all there. I remember because we had like, we went to like QV for like dinner or dessert or something. And then I just remember a sit, we were sitting in the courtyard, the food um, hall of QV building planes, yeah. which is waiting for oh, the yeah. midnight launch. Just yes. like the commercial, yes. right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and then it probably helped because I think the pre-order bonus was like those cappy hats. So you definitely saw yes. a fair few of those around. Yep. It the cappy packs. hats and those beach volleyballs that I think I have, I still have mine deflated in my cupboard. <laughs> but um, yeah, again, one of those things where it wasn't specifically for packs, but it added to the packs experience. No, but did they give out a pin on the show floor or not? Because I do recall a pin, a cappy I feel pin. Like they might've. I, they, yeah, I think I, they did. I think that yeah. was the Nintendo era of, was that the year they had all those um, Zelda pins you had to chase around, or was that the thirtieth anniversary? No, no, that I've got that in here. That's actually weirdly twenty nineteen. They okay. did that for Link's Awakening. Yeah, but yeah, th- this was the era where they pushed pins a lot, as we, as we mentioned earlier. I, I think it was when they started having pins as well for sale at the Penny Arcade or the Penny Arcade shop. Um, because, yeah, I've got a bunch of Mario Odyssey ones on one of my lanyards. I could probably pull out the lanyards and try and 
see what badge are connected to it. <laughs> Do you just have like a box full of these clangy lanyards that go clink, uh, clink when you drop them in? Uh, I have a back, I have a PAX bag, one of like the, when you spend X amount of money, they just keep giving you bags. And I, yeah, I've got a bag with all the, <laughs> all the pins in them and all the patches and all this random crap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, it's getting full. I might need to start a second one. Uh, <laughs> I didn't go to the story time this year, but I don't really care because it was Bernie Burns from uh, Rooster Teeth, so like Red versus Blue. And that's a person whose story you could find online a hundred million times because it's the same story he tells every time uh, until he just completely blipped off the face of the internet when he left Rooster Teeth and decided he wanted to live off the grid, or at least off the social media grid. So, um, Good on him, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't didn't go to it, so I don't don't know what he talked about, mm-hmm. other than assuming it's the same story about starting Rooster Teeth with his friends in his his room or whatever. A Megathon though, that was a good one. Crossy Road, Australian made mobile game, but using a balance board to uh <laughs> to control it. <laughs> yes, yep. I remember this one. Yeah, and Locke, you put a note. Rudism, which I think is the controller's creator, is that? Is I think that so. Yeah, I, I've got I've written it in my diary for some reason, and that's sort of sort of why I put it there. I, I'm pretty sure that was the guy because I think he was also at this show as well with weird controllers. He had a panel and um, like all these weird things that he managed to create. I don't remember what they were, but I think there might have been DK bongos or some sort of guitar, or whatever, to control like ordinary games. So. To have um, like a balance board for Crossy Road, uh, yeah, it was quite interesting and quite hilarious at the time as well. Yeah, it's funny. I literally was looking at him on Twitter like two, three hours ago. Oh, I saw a post from him because he was like, "That's South by Southwest um, coming to <laughs> coming to Sydney this week," and I was like, "Oh, that guy." But yeah, I think that was definitely one of the best Omegathons because. Yeah, Crossy Road, just a silly, frantic game. Fun that it's Australian as well, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, that balance board controller made it so much more exciting. Fun little anecdote from this year's PAX. They did a 10-year PAX Omegathon sort of reunion with all the winners, all runners-up for a couple of years where the winners were not in Australia, um, i.e. the online years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... They just got them all to compete in a series of things over an hour, and uh, it was this that year's winner, the the Crossy Road winner, that won. So he's the ultimate Omegathon champion to rule them all. Was I guess Ooh, his, nice. his title. <laughs> well, um, if you can be. master the balance board, you can master everything. Pretty much. Pretty much, I agree. Brendan, you put heroes of play coverage. Was that something you wanted? To, you know, was that you know what you want to talk about in terms of what you guys did that year? Maybe compared to be another another castle how it differed or do you feel it was very similar just with a new um the new badge <laughs> well a bit of a new badge but also i guess it was a bit more underground than the first time because this time we we weren't able to get media passes i believe in the early years it was very easy to get media passes so i know the another i wasn't a part of it at the, at the time but the another castle crew got them in 2013 the first packs we got it in 2015 but by the time 2017 came around it was a lot I think they heightened the restrictions. And I know mm. they tweak them every year because talking to some of our podcast friends, some years they are able to get them, other years they just have to fork out for their own passes. So I think there's just variables depending on, I think, who's in charge of that part of the operation and what they decide are the metrics that they will give out the media passes or not. But that year was, I think that year pretty much echoes what we were talking about earlier. That was 
it was purely indie coverage. So we went and interviewed some indie developers, put some reels together, and those are all still on YouTube as well under the Heroes of Play YouTube channel. And probably no game was on the same level as uh, um, Hollow Knight, of course, that we did an interview for. But there were still some there's still some great games like a Medieval, the I guess the boomer shooter. I, I, I hate that term for a genre, but they're called boomer shooters <laughs> for some reason. And Death Squared, a great Australian developed game. And it, it just goes to show all the great... Uh, that, that interview I really enjoyed because I had just played and reviewed that game and then got to talk to the developers. So it really does show the strength of the indie indie community and indie developers in, in Australia and in, in and around Melbourne. And that was the last year I did any sort of media coverage for tax. And I don't... Since, well, we've transitioned to podcasting now, I don't really see myself in a position to do something similar with videos and professional cameramen and the lot because effectively one of our friends Danny um that we knew has a professional rig he's a professional cameraman and uh we got a lot of footage of just particularly cosplayers just wanting to get in the shot of his camera because I think you all saw it he had like the full-on rig that he was carrying mm. around and I think it, it, it probably Everyone probably thought he was a part of the outlet, a lot more professional and a lot more big picture than we <laughs> yeah, were. Yeah. So that that was quite funny. Uh, that's gold. Um, one thing that's actually worth touching on, because I don't think you mentioned it before, but with the media, I'm not that I've been media, but you get that extra hour at the start of each day, or yes. at least this Friday, the Friday and the Saturday, which yeah, which is helpful because obviously uh, it's a bit quieter, not much quieter, but a bit. And I think they keep the lights on in the expo hall to make it a bit easier just to go around and do do, business, which makes uh, interviewing and the like a bit more um, manageable. But not to say you can't do it, as you said, as a a paid, um, you know, uh, underground unit as you did that year. (laughs) And I think sort of the extra hour at the start, I'd argue, was probably more um, relevant when the big publishers were all there and you wanted to get in and talk to them. Because a lot of the times you could... Not to the same level as E3, but you could book in times with some of the big publishers to go play some of their games and talk to someone and do things mm. like that on a much smaller scale as an E3, but still that model. Whereas now with most of the developers there that you would want to talk to being indie developers, as I noticed, in I wasn't there on the Saturday, so maybe Saturday was very busy this year, but on the Sunday, like there were always people playing indie games at the indie booths, but if you waited a little bit, you'd be able to talk to the main people there. You'd be able to conduct an interview. You'd be able to play the game and have a go. Like it wouldn't have taken you that long to do it that way. So perhaps it's just very well organized at the moment. Perhaps the flow of the show floor is just in a very good state at the moment. But I think it does have something to do with you don't really, if you're covering PAX as an event, you don't really have to spend time as an outlet being, oh, I need to go play Teaser the Kingdom demo that's come out and the game's not out yet and I need to play that so I can do a write-up or a video of me just talking about playing it. Like, that's not really a a thing you have to worry about. Mm, for sure. The only game I have a photo of me playing at that session was Monster Hunter World, which according to this photo was on the PS4 Pro, or at least that's what this big billboard says. <laughs> anyway, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, right. 2018, we're getting there because there's going to be two years here that we're going to go through very quickly. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully five years, considering how long we've spent on this episode, Zach. Yes, yes. Uh, 2018, 
Probably the big meme of this year, if anyone went to the Q Hall, was this was the Fallout 76 year. So the first off, the masks are back. Creepy Pip Boy. Secondly, Country Roads, Take Me Home. On loop. On loop. Yes. <laughs> Became a bit of a bit of an anthem for the show in years to come. Uh and particularly because Pax does use that welcome home um slogan a little bit, uh, as it's sort of like, yep, you know, you're well you're with your community. Cool thing this year as the big standee at the front. Where's the photo I have it? Actually, I don't know if they had a standee this year, but they did have like a mural with like Melbourne in like the Penny Arcade comic style. If they had another standee, I don't have a photo of it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> games to play other than indies. Uh, pretty big year again for Nintendo. We had Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee with a big line and um, some Pikachu and Eevee like visors that they were handing out. Um, similar to this year, they had Detective Pikachu. Um, and sort of like a Pokemon Center facade that you can get a photo in front of, which was quite neat. Mm-hmm. And then also Smash, I think this was Smash. Yes, yes, yes. Smash Brothers Ultimate that year, which again, just such a good demo for a big event where it's like two minute matches, you know, four people go in, play, get out kind of thing. Um, that certainly was a big thing for me. Um, yeah, what about you guys? Is there anything that, um, you recall specifically about 2018? Well, I'll have to tap out of this one because this was the first one I actually missed because I was living in Edinburgh at the time. So I was not there for 2018. Which is fair enough. I think this is the one where my Nintendo first made their appearance, didn't they? And were handing out Mm. um, check-in prizes. I believe you're correct, yep. So this was the, the year that you were able to get either a platinum or a gold badge given out on random but you could check in on each of the days that you were there. So I was able to get both of them. Yes, I also got both and a spare platinum, which I, as I said, traded for yeah. that Pokemon thing. <laughs> but, but, I do, yeah. uh, but I do remember, like, uh, because Smash was coming out or has been out, I can't remember, but the the big deal was that there was no Waluigi announcement for the roster, and that upset <laughs> a lot of people. And it was quite surreal to see so many people cosplaying as Waluigi. And when they did a photo shoot sometime like in the show, like there was like literally maybe 20, 30 of them just confined in one area, making a big deal about why Waluigi wasn't in the game. I also remember that like parade of Waluigi's basically yeah. around the show. Those kind of like group cosplays, particularly when there's a cause, uh, yep. make for, for good fun. <laughs> um, but the other thing as well is that um, EV Games Expo made their presence, didn't they? Yes, that was the year that EB Games Expo got amalgamated into a basically a giant EB Games booth, effectively, <laughs> or, or a, um, a shopping uh, you know center sort of thing, retail store. Yeah, which, which from memory, I, I I think there was another year afterwards that they didn't call it EB Games. Twenty nineteen. It was just a big zing shop in the corner of the expo hall, effectively. Yeah, but but both years, I think they had like. A lot of like collectors editions that were clearly collecting dust for various games. <laughs> they were just trying to like clear out. <laughs> it probably worked. Yeah, no, it did. I think um, you know at least one person that may have even bought like a Switch or something at that EB Games Expo. Um, yeah, it was interesting, and I mean, obviously, I think it marked the death of EB Games Expo, which, as I think at that point, the year prior had been in Sydney. I think it moved from the Gold Coast. Um, but yeah, once it became a subsection of PAX. 
Yep. Uh, that was it. That was the last year <laughs> that brand was used, which is notable. Um, and uh, yeah, and we'll talk about 2019 in a second, but, I don't, you know, that was also the second last year. They would also be at PAX. Thank you, COVID. Uh, <laughs> what else did I... I think that's, I mean, that's that's sort of it um, in terms of yeah. stuff I, I really strongly remember. Actually, I just had a, saw in a photo that at the Nintendo booth, they did have some good indies. Uh, Untitled Goose Game being probably the main one there, which is pre its release and pre its big meme explosion and probably similar vibes to Hollow Knight. I think Silksong might have even been there that year, actually. I think in, so in too, yeah. yeah. I think so, and it still hasn't uh, been released yet, has it? No, so... No. Um, <laughs> You know, this is why you come to PAX Australia. You get to play vaporware. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they did give up. They did give up pins, um, especially for for that game as well. But I think it was one of the more limited ones. Yes, I think so as well. Uh, coming back to, there's always something that's a bit more hectic to get. Yep, yep. It must I don't know? Maybe I was there in 2018, but I remember whenever Hollow Knight was in the Nintendo booth, um, Silk Song. There was a huge queue and. I never got the pin because you had to queue up for a, quite a long time to get that pin. Yep. And to play the demo. Yeah, and, and le- unless it was 2019 and our brains are just compuzzling, I, I, I can't remember. But it was yeah. it was one of those two years, I reckon. Because um, it would have to been after Hollow Knight came out on Switch, given it was at Nintendo's booth. This year, so story time was Rihanna Pratchett, who... Um, I've done a f- quite a few games. I don't, there's not really one I think of as her like seminal one, but she also does books. Um, and for obvious, you know, I can't say her name and people will not ask the question, but it is Terry Pratchett's daughter. So there's a lineage there. Mm-hmm. That was a really good one because it's the first time we've had a, I guess, a writer, uh, and, you know, a game's story writer. Um, sorry, I just Googled her. So Mirror's Edge is probably one that many people will, will be familiar with from a video game. But she also has done like a bunch of books and stuff for game series, like a bunch of, you know, Prince of Persia, sorry, Prince of Persia, Tomb Raider books. Um, anyway, sorry, you can tell I've got Wikipedia open and just pulling random <laughs> titles. <laughs> Apparently, a writer for Surgeon Simulator 2. There you go. Uh, that that uh, game has <laughs> writing. Apparently. Um, and again, well, that was 2020, so we all, we all did crazy things in 2020. But uh, that was cool. Uh, and then I didn't see the, it was the first and I think only year I've missed their Megathon final, but it was Street Fighter 2 Turbo, which by all accounts would have been good. <laughs> I don't know, Locke, did you see that that one? Oh, I think I did. I think one of them played as E uh, E Honda and I think um, like cleaned up or was really close, one of the two. I just remember, yeah, that bit. I can't remember if it was a best of five or something like that, but I remember E Honda being one of the, play, one of the characters that they played and it like literally was doing the whole hand swapping thing, and that oh, was yeah, it. Yeah. No, I th- I th- see, that's a risky one, I reckon, for a final, because all it takes is one person to be incredibly competent, and it's just boring. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Yep. Just someone to be like, I spent all the 90s in arcades playing Street Fighter 2. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, I think it finished like like quarter to six. Like, um, Yeah, we left really early. Yeah, over very quick. Actually, I, I think I remember that as well, because I was enforcing that afternoon shift, and I was very surprised how quickly everyone came back <laughs> to yeah. the lounge. Yeah, it took longer to go into the theatre than uh, to leave, or, yeah, to sit down and watch it. Oh, I mean, I'm sure if anyone does want to watch it, it's online somewhere for if you have Probably, five minutes, yeah. it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, 2019, the last pre-COVID packs. 
pins were a big one this year i mentioned before this is where nintendo had the like Link's awakening photo quest with like these standees all around the show where you have like you hold one of the the instruments from the game which was really just a piece of cardboard or like mm-hmm. styrofoam or something um and if you did them all you got a little uh Link's awakening badge weirdly they also sold a very similar looking badge at the penny arcade shop at some point but it was not the same one it was like nintendo branded one was penny arcade anyway okay. odd choice there that they did that but uh I love little quests. Um, one thing we haven't touched on, I don't think we have to delve into a lot of details. Every year they had that PAX XP thing with the QR codes and usually a very crappy little prize that you can get for finding them all. But um, I do like a good scavenger hunt and that's what yep. this, this uh, Link's Awakening quest felt like. Um, I assume you got the, the pin and did the quest lock, knowing you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I think it was for, like, for us just trying to kill time. Um, but yeah, I remember that photo. I've still got it somewhere. Um, it was just like, okay, I'm holding this piece of cardboard for a little bit of the puzzle to get this pin. And there's a few other things as well that you have to do as well. Yeah, not not that we're a um, a video podcast, but Brendan's showing a photo of him uh, and yep. at least three other friends uh, who <laughs> yep, I, I at least recognize all three of them. Um, yes. With the, the drums. <laughs> uh, and presumably you've got your pin somewhere in a storage box in Melbourne. Uh, I do, Or yes. Shepard and one or the other. Um <laughs> Very good. And then one of the big things, this story time was David Gator, which people might not know. He's, again, a writer. But what was big about this one is he actually announced, hey, I'm a Canadian or American, I think Canadian. I've worked on some big games. Uh, I'm moving to Australia. I'm starting a studio with this Melbourne guy, and we're going to make this game at the time called Chorus had to be renamed because another game called Chorus came out before this launched, um, <laughs> but now known as Stray Gods, um, a role-playing musical, which was a first that I'm aware of of PAX Australia having like, here's a completely new game announcement, <laughs> which was quite cool. Uh, and I think at the time they even said it's going to have, you know, Troy Baker and um, I think maybe Ashley Birch, who were voice actors in it. I think they said that at the time. I can't the call that was later but i'm pretty sure it would have been at the announcement but uh anyway just a cool way to open a pax with it with a game announcement which is not really what pax is about really it's it's yeah. more for just you know come and play indie games you haven't heard of but yeah that was that was neat i don't remember the show floor too well this year i don't know if either of you remember or have any photos to jog your memory of what was the big draw cards um, the only thing that I have is that in the uh, PAX uh, merch section, they had this section where they had all the bags lined up and there was a throne made out of the bags that you could sit and take a photo of. Does that jog, in, <laughs> does, does that jog a memory? That does a little bit. I remember, because I don't think that was des- by design. I think that was enforced as having a bit of fun with the uh, yeah, excess yeah. bags. <laughs> so that was that was pretty cool. Um, uh, other than that, gold. the theme of it was like a donut or sort of... Um, uh, icing sort of it's thing, like cheese, cheese, or, or cheese or something like that. Yeah, something yeah, dripping. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This this is the first year where I really felt the theme was like super prominent in the in the logo and theming of the merch. One cool thing they did have though for the photo standee was a big fake CRT and controller with the Legend of Packs a link to the Oz, which I thought was very neat. Yep. Don't know if they got Nintendo sign off, but I assume they did <laughs> to do that. It's a play on words. <laughs> yes. 
and looking at some of my photos, I only have about four or five photos from that packs, but I have a photo of Party Poppers, the indie game, which was a lot of fun. But okay. from that photo, one thing that strikes my mind is that's also a year where a lot of the indie devs started to become authorized pin dealers for Penny Arcade. So you could go to the, the indie dev demo kiosks and purchase pins from them. And I remember that taking off in 2019. As a birthday enforcer and as a, a pin enthusiast, one of the big draw cards for certain indies is getting the rights to do a, a pinny because it's actually like a massive like money raising scheme, particularly when you're mid development. Because a lot of a lot of them aren't indie games that are out. A lot of them are yeah. like, hey, here's from our packs. What's the the showcase like the four or five um, yeah, indie, indie showcase year. Yeah. Yeah, the ones that like were sort of like the award winners effectively of the show would maybe get pins, uh, as well as a few others. Um, mm-hmm. Like, again, Party Poppers, I don't think was a showcase game. Maybe no, it was, but it, it wasn't. Was, it had negotiated some pins you mentioned before. Yeah. Death Squared has pins. Um, and this Party Poppers, it was $20 for one pin, $35 for two pins, or $60 for four. So they had four different pins. That is a good money yeah. maker. Correct. And so when you're an indie developer who where every dollar accounts for an extra bit of time for your development, good money making scheme. Because you get idiots like me who's like, I don't know what your game is, but I need yeah. every pin. So here's yeah. my 40 bucks. <laughs> well, well speak, speaking of which, um, I do remember this one that had um, a game which you might know called Fall Guys. And in order to yes. get the yeah, pin, I think I might have heard of it. Yeah. 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 In, but in order to get the pin, you had to play it. But at the time, I didn't know anything about it. So I was I was just playing. I think I came second um, out of the how many people oh, wow. were playing at at the time, and so I got this pin. And then their their big thing for that I remember for this year was that at a random time at a random location they were now this this new pin, um, the uh, the bin chicken. Yes, I remember and the bin chicken. Yep. So this is probably this is the first year that this came out, and I I only had no intentions of getting this whatsoever. And I'm roaming around the floor, and then we all of a sudden my phone lights up. Okay, this is where the next uh, pin chicken is going to be. I happen to be two, uh, about like 10 meters away from this joint. So I was like, screw it, drop everything, go to it. As I'm, as I'm slowly walking there, I see this big rush of people heading to this location. I'm thinking, shh, I, I better get there quickly. And then um, 10 minutes later, I handed in my pin to swap, and then now I've got a pin chicken that's probably worth a lot. Yes. I did not get a pin chicken that year. I ended up getting one through a competition uh, donation. Yeah, competition donation event. Like, I don't know if it was in Paxos online or something around that. But uh, yeah, it was like a donation slash competition to cancer, pure cancer Australia, okay, I yep. think it's called. One, yep. of, one of the cancer fundraising ones. So yeah, they ended up sending me one through that, um, which I didn't feel too bad by. Like, I'm going to put money towards it. It's better that it's going to curing cancer than to penny arcade but um mm-hmm. yeah those pin chickens that year were, were hard to get because it's it's weird I was, I was saying this to like i think probably you lock and a bro the group we're with but like ibises which to be clear it's called yep. a, a bin chicken because it's an ibis not a really big feature of melbourne like we don't have that many and it's not actually like a joke if you'd only lived in melbourne your entire life you would get but I yep. understand much more common in Sydney and Queensland. <laughs> I think we've got a few in Adelaide as well that I've seen. And you get quite a lot in country, Victoria. So there's quite a few around okay. Shepparton, actually. Okay. Okay, yeah. I mean, like Melbourne, it's just like seagulls, and that's about it, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is way less interesting. 
but that would go on to become a theme. I think every other PAX afterwards in Australia has uh, a pin chicken of some kind, um, albeit the way to get them varied from purchasing them to back to just this year, trading them in a bit more of an organized fashion, <laughs> not just randomly we're going to be in this spot at this time. You have five minutes to get to us. The other things I just quickly noticed in photos, games, at least Nintendo-wise, Luigi's Mansion 3, and we had the Luigi and Luigi um, paper headbanding things. Um, oh, yeah. Pokemon Sword and Shield was the big um, demo. The other thing now I remember, this was the year Blizzard had like a bit of controversy with Overwatch, and I think there was Blizzard diablo pins and overwatch branding everywhere because overwatch was coming to switch i think blizzard actually or overwatch sponsored the handheld lounge that year i remember that just being very awkward dealing with like (laughs) people being quite tense over the hong kong situation with blizzard with the player being banned for saying you know free hong kong or support Mm -hmm. hong kong or whatever blitz chung yes blitz chung yeah so that was um because that would have, I think that was literally like a few, maybe a week or two before PAX Australia. But anyway, I think, yeah, there was, that was, and I think there was like, yeah, a quest to go to like the Overwatch thing, a Diablo thing, and one other to get like a, a Diablo something pin. I can't remember specifically, yeah. but anyway, good times. So I've already said the story time. A Megathon final was Fight Crab. Again, silly sort of physics first person game with crabs with weapons. Um, good fun for this kind of event and you know they ended up with see you next year and... <laughs> <They were> wrong <laughs> well, well, they, had a, they had a different venue for for 2020 didn't they yeah uh yeah so 2020 <laughs> comes yeah look i think we, we this is when our podcast started and we did talk a little bit about packs online so i won't go into too much detail but mm-hmm. packs online uh happened actually in September 2020, and they combined it with EGX and PAX West and just called it PAX Online. Good things, it was free. There was no yep. money to be paid to attend, in, quest- in quotation marks. What attending was was really, hey, we've got a Discord channel you can come in and hang out in, and B, we've got, they did nine days straight of panels and sort of like online tournaments you could do, which is in some ways cool, but just, yeah, I mean, it can't really replace that sense of community, you know, like hanging out in a PAX Discord, not nearly as fun as just I can be in a Discord with my friends, which is usually what I did. Uh, yeah. Was, was that yeah, the year yeah. there were like competitions that you were quite involved in or was that 2021? Yeah, that was 2020. So what, what one of the benefits of 2020 was, uh, so apparently in PAX West, and I don't know if this is an officially PAX sanctioned thing or if it's just a thing that people do around packs there's this group called dr exoskeleton and they basically do this like very complicated trivia slash like treasure hunt at pax west with like very difficult like video game puzzles like like very obscure games like the way the puzzles set up it requires a lot of thinking and so that was the main draw card for me was every day at 3 a.m they release the next like question and so that I didn't work very much that 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 week because I was trying to brain like punch through these puzzles. Basically, <laughs> um, there's no reward for the record. It was just like something to do, really. Um, Satisfaction. Yeah, pretty much. And again, when you know with COVID, you sort of looked for it, particularly in Melbourne because I think we were still in lockdown. Um, yep. These kinds of things were a good distraction. 
so that was kind of one of the nice benefits of being combined with PAX West, technically. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think look, I think they did the best they could for making an online event with the little notice they had, right? Because something like PAX takes at least a year, if not longer, to really coordinate and plan. I, I don't think you could have done much more than what they did. Because was 2020 the one where, well, they had announced it, of course, and they were selling passes and they had to be like, we're um, refunding everyone? Or was that 2021? I think, no. So that was, I think 2020, they logically did not start selling passes in March because obviously COVID had already just bang hit. Um, 2021, they were optimistic, but um, because I think, you know, 2021, which just to, we may as well cover both quickly at the same time. Yeah. 2021, they they split out and just said, no, we're just doing PAX Oz online because the American PAXs had returned, or at least West had um, a few weeks before Oz. But again, Melbourne, a bit more of a lockdown kind of city than most. Uh, we'd gone through other big waves of COVID and lockdowns in 2021. Um, and while I think many other states probably had been open for most of 2021, um, I think the general agreement was it didn't make sense to... Um, to have a big convention in Melbourne at that time. So that that was one where they refunded the the passes, I think after probably May or June when we went back into lockdown. One, as an enforcer, enforcing was optional. You didn't really have to do anything, but uh, they did give us cool, like, Discord, like, permissions to hand out, like, these Discord um, <laughs> okay. emotes. Like, we could, we could give people emotes, which would try to, like, symbolize pins and stuff. So... What I did for, I think, 2021, I stayed in the Handheld Lands channel and I said, name your favorite handheld game and I'll ask you trivia about it. And if you get the question right, I'll give you an emote, basically. Um, that's how I occupied my time <laughs> <laughs> for something to do. But yeah, I mean, look, glad those days are hopefully over. Um, again, they did the best. Glad they didn't charge any money uh, for them because I don't think it would have been worth it, to be blunt. <laughs> yeah. Just quickly, story time in 2020 was Mike Pondsmith, who's the Cyberpunk 2077 creator, not the video game, but the actual pen and paper tabletop pen and paper RPG. A Megathon was Streets of Rage 4, which is actually kind of neat. Because it had just come out in 2020. Just come out, and they both just went through the level, and whoever got the highest score won, basically, from the most combos and, and enemies defeated. And I think... It ended up luckily being an Aussie versus an American, so there was that like national no tension that wasn't guaranteed. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, the American won. <laughs> it's their game, isn't it? No way. Yeah, it is. Yep, yep. yeah. Well, actually, I think it was made by Dot Emu. Yeah, which French has an Australian bird in it, but is yeah, is, is, okay. is French. <laughs> okay. Thanks, France. And then twenty twenty one. Storytime was just the developers behind Among Us, so InnerSloth, not one, but the whole team, including their marketing manager. I do remember this being a really bad story time because they didn't really tell stories. They just joked around like a bunch of friends on a video call, and that was probably not what I go to story times <laughs> for, personally. Um, just just a lot of Among Us memes. Um, so that was a bit of a shame because it could have been a... That would have been an interesting game to learn how they made it. Anyway, um, and then the Omegathon was... Uh, a big a game that was big at this year's PAX, Spin Rhythm, was the Omegathon. As an enforcer, the other cool thing is one of the Omeganauts that got to the finals was the sole enforcer Omeganaut they picked to, to feature this year, and he got all the way to the end. So that was kind of cool, actually knowing someone in the final for once. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, Spin Rhythm, Aussie-made indie game. At the time, I think only on phones and PC. 
I guess technically probably still is. Yeah, I think um, it, it, it's, now it hasn't it's, come to consoles yet, I don't think. No, but it's it's been upgraded to Spirulum XD, which is now, uh, was that this year's PAX with the... Um, with the turntable, yes. uh, which is very and, cool. And I think that w- it, it was with the turntable at a previous PAX, I think either 2019 or even 2017. It's been around for a while. Yes, um, but it's certainly building and building, so that's a very cool game to, yeah, to, to have featured in, in a PAX I was online. But then finally, 2022, COVID's over. Well, we kinda. thought PAX might not happen. Kind of over. It's not over, yeah. but we're going to pretend it's over. Yeah. No one, you know, we, we wore masks, but not enough people wore masks. <laughs> no. And, uh, yeah, it's back on at the convention center. You got your flight back to Melbourne uh, after a two-year's break lock. Brendan uh, would have just been in Melbourne like normal then, yeah? No, you hadn't gone to England yet, had you? 2022? Yes, I had. Yeah, I left. In, had, yeah, okay. I left in September last year, so I missed. That's 2022. right, just just before. Ooh, that's yeah. right. Which, uh, to be fair, like Paxos 2022 definitely had like we're warming back up vibes. Um, yeah. Obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but what was not present was any of the big three, and just generally a lot of exhibitors had pulled out. or were just not ready to jump back in. Is probably the correct way of thinking about mm-hmm. it. What I do remember was Sega were there with Sonic Frontiers, and I got a photo with Sonic the Hedgehog, who came back this year. Yep. Um, thanks, Sonic. <laughs> However, this year was space-themed. I could have said the themes for the two online years, but again, that kind of doesn't really matter too much um, <laughs> for those ones. But yeah, space-themed. They didn't really have a cool standee. They just had like a PAX-like, you know, space sort of logo and up on the big board. Big thing was story time this year. So a big name, Shuhei Yoshida, uh, who is, I think, well-known as a as a Sony dude. Um, but he's been a few roles from, like, head of PlayStation Studios to so the whole shebang. Um, but more recently, and at this point at in time, he was he's the, kind of like the head of... I don't know what his exact title is, but he's kind of like the indie guy. Like, his job is going out and sourcing indies for PlayStation. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, a cool person to hear from like our first japanese story time yeah i think so i think so too yeah yeah which was cool um and so you just got some yeah again like i love these more people that actually focus on telling us their story their career and his career was super cool to hear about and yeah some are like the like you know tense moments he had with senior sony management and getting yelled at which um when he was more junior which uh it's very um Relatable, I think, to more of us than some of the other story times. Yeah, Locke, what, what did you think about 2022 coming back after after a couple of years break? Um, I thought it was good to, to see everyone or see the things have gone more back to normal over the past, you know, what the two years that we had. But I felt like, yeah, being, being that there weren't a lot of exhibitors out on the show floor sort of made it, for me, like an empty feeling sort of thing. Like there was this expectation, okay, we've gone back to normal and then you rocked up and then it's like, okay, there's a lot of space here. Um, and it's not as, yeah, not, not as densely compact or um, you you walk through the show floor and it just sort of felt empty. But at the same time, it's just like, okay, we'll make do with what we got and let's make the most of it sort of thing. Yeah, like it, it's, but, but in, all, in all honesty, it sort of left a, a feeling where, okay, there could have been more, but this, this will have to do sort of thing. I, I agree. It was like, 
it was good that it was back clear that there's still hopefully this won't be how it is forever um because i think if if this had been like the new status quo if none of the big publishers came back yeah I think we'd be on a downward tra- trajectory, but um, fortunately we finish off in a second. Uh, that's not what's happened. Um, but I, at least it, it did some good things. It did create more space for indies, which is always nice, um, mm-hmm. both in terms of the time we had to spend there, but also the literal show floor space. Yes, but I remember talking to people at the time, and we did a podcast on it last year, that it was, it felt like, because I wasn't there, of course, but it felt like the overall feeling was, ah, oh, it's good that PAX is back, but it's not really the same thing it was before 2020. That was sort of the the general feeling of it, wasn't it? Correct. And, you know, the other thing is, like, you know, for example, like it made certain reasons for people to go to PAX. Like it, they, it was a bit, I won't say a waste of time, but like I, I for example, I guested, that was my first year guesting at Audio Technica with, with Drew on his show, The House of Mario, which you had done in a previous PAX, Brendan, though the audio twenty eighteen, destroyed. And, yeah. Yeah, 2018. Um, but yeah, House of Mario, Nintendo podcast, not a lot to talk about for PAX Cos 2022. <laughs> uh, you can certainly talk about indies, but, but you're still basically speculating on will they come to Switch uh, in five years when they're out, that kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, it, it just definitely had a muted feel. But I think because so many people wanted to, to see each other again, to reconnect, it did mean there was a fairly sizable turnout, which was... Um, Certainly noticeable even amongst our sort of Aussie Nintendo and other castle group. There was there was quite a few people came for the first time in a while, which was yeah. nice. Like I remember seeing like the contrast between Friday and Saturday, like there's like a lot, a lot of people like wanting to get into the show floor. Even at 11 o'clock, there were still people lined up waiting to get in. So, you know, you, you knew that it was great to be back. And so there was still that buzz in the air sort of thing but i think for those who've been to the shows before it was like as you guys said it's sort of been okay we'll make do with what we've got so that's i mean that's pretty much all there mm. is to say about 2022 uh finished with a fun game on the omegathon unspottable which uh if you haven't played is worth getting it's pretty cheap on switch or most you know systems but basically it's like a bunch of npcs your characters all look the same the same as the npcs and it's just kind of like trying to stealth your way around and then figure out who's another par- person and like whack them with the with the b button or whatever the equivalent is on your system of choice very simple but very fun yeah one that i downloaded after seeing it i never heard of it before watching the omegathon uh that year but uh but yeah very cool game i don't think it's australian but it's still very fun indie game yeah all right cool i might check it out yeah, definitely worth worth looking into. It's very similar to a game and Wario game of a similar nature if you played that on Wii, uh, yeah. uh, which is prob- prob- probably these days more niche than Unspottable, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, this year, 2023, 10 years of PAX happened. It was, again, a week ago from recording or so. Not all the big three are back. Uh, no. You know, technically they are. I've thought about it. Like, Bethesda is Microsoft, and they had a presence, and... Crunchyroll is owned by Sony, and they had a booth, so I guess they were there, um, but <laughs> not really, uh, not PlayStation at least. And, and not then, Xbox, um, no. No, and not Xbox, um, but Nintendo was there, and they had a lot of space this year, um, mm-hmm. and that, I think, really 
you know, even if you're not a Nintendo fan, it upped the vibe. Um, you know, being back, having an unreleased game and or a few unreleased games, obviously Mario Wonder being the main one, but also uh, Prince of Persia was at their booth. And Sonic. Yeah, yeah. and Sonic. Well, I don't remember what the subtitle is of Prince of Persia, but anyway. Sonic, yeah, uh, Superstars, which also was at the Sega booth with Like a Dragon, uh, whatever the the Gaiden, the, the short one that's coming out, like a dragon Gaiden, something about the man who lost his name. Anyway, probably wrong. Don't correct me. I don't care. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, just getting back to like, it's not quite all the way back to full 10 out of 10 with the big exhibitors, but it's it's much closer than it was in 2022. And I think hopefully vibes for seeing a return of, say, Xbox and PlayStation. Like I was, I was thinking about it, I don't know what Xbox would have shown. Like, they only have, yeah. like, released games. PlayStation could have rocked up and brought Spider-Man. They didn't, but they, you no. know, they had stuff they could have shown. It's the sort of thing that they don't need to rock up and show Spider-Man. People are going to just play it anyway. It, it's such a weird thing. Like, it, you know, you don't know how what the the return on investment is with coming with these shows. And maybe it's one of those things where you won't see PlayStation back. Because, I mean, to be fair, PlayStation seems globally pretty checked out of other events um xbox less so i think they are keen on engaging with the community but they just need a game <laughs> to show uh <laughs> Might help. square enix wasn't there either were they no that's a good point because they used to do the big um final fantasy 14 boost like year on year correct ff14 yeah. was was big in previous years because square enix i think square enix and bandai namco and maybe one other all yeah. go through the same distribution channel in yeah. australia so it's like whoever that is basically books the booth and then brings in whoever's relevant for that year so that, that company i think had a presence but it was with tekken 8 which i didn't actually play tekken 8 but it was apparently there <laughs> Locke, how did you feel about this year 2023 um definitely a lot better than the previous i i did i did enjoy my time there um there was a lot more um, to actually check out and all that sort of thing. So I spent less time wandering outside the uh, show floor and actually nutted through what sort of took interest um, that I could take. So I, I did appreciate that. Nintendo being back was absolutely brilliant. Um, having hands-on on, on um, Wonder was good. But also, yeah, just having that vibe again. Yeah, like I I can't say much more, really. Um the fact that I enjoyed it was, was was more than enough for me. No, I agree. And Brendan, you weren't planning on coming, but you did end up getting a solid two or three hours, as you said before. In yeah, what what were your thoughts from that very brief glimpse? I enjoyed it. It was good to be back. And yes, I was only there for about. I think I got there about one forty, and I left it just before five o'clock. So yes. Oh, so I like took half an hour from from, from you. Yeah, so so I can tell you all the things I did at PAX. I did. I spent like forty minutes at um, Solium Infernum, which is a, a strategy game coming out next year. Which uh, one of our mutual friends suggested I go play, and I just ended up talking to the dev that was working on that for a solid twenty minutes, and then played the demo. Then I went and um, ran into Josh, who we did the podcast with, and he was like, "Oh, go play this footy game." So I went to play the footy game. Um, what's it called? Footy. Is a footy bash? Footy bash. Yeah. Yes. Which that's a really fun game. So I played Solium Inferno, played footy bash. Oh, actually the first thing I did was of course went and lined up for Super Mario Wonder. So those were the three games I played. And I think going to the point about Nintendo having a big booth and not there being 
not being that many big AAA publishers is that Nintendo had so many setups for Mario Wonder that they could churn people through very quickly. So even though there was a constant line for that game, you'd be lining up for about 20 minutes and then you'd get to play. So that was actually pretty good. And then then after I played those three games, I was going to play some more indies, but I ran into Locke and another of our friends. So I talked to them for about 20 minutes, half an hour, and then I went off and uh, did an episode of Nintendvania podcast with yourself, Zach. So... That was my time at PAX 2023. <laughs> so I, I think in short, it was it was great to be back. I, I've always enjoyed PAX. It's, I wouldn't have gone to all the ones before 2020 if I didn't enjoy it. So there's, as we mentioned, there's so many reasons why we all go to PAX year on year. Some is that, well, if we live in Melbourne, it's kind of convenient. For others like Locke, it's an opportunity to do to catch up with friends and to really enjoy the hobby we all put a lot of time and effort into or, and just to or just for the social elements. So yeah, I've really... certainly, yeah. Yeah, so even though I was only there for three hours, it was definitely worth it. And I'm I'm very glad we were able... Well, Zach was able to facilitate a pass for me for those that brief period. So I had a lot of fun. No, it's good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I hope this... I mean, they said the magic words. We'll see you for actually years to come was how oh, they finished. Oh, years so to come. Okay, yep. Okay, cool. So, so they must have signed a contract with MCEC for another few years. <laughs> uh, I'm sure the Victorian government is pretty invested in keeping it here because it does bring in a lot of a lot of traffic and whatnot. Because um, the other thing we have, I mean, just very quickly, but like PAX has sort of become the linchpin of what is now the Melbourne International Games Week, which has probably been going for Gosh, not quite as long as PAX, but almost as long started as PAX. two or three yeah. years after. Yeah, pretty pretty close. Um, and so a lot of the industry do come, you know, a week or so earlier, go to like talks that are more focused on people that work there uh, or work in the industry and um, network and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, we even see other big events like, you know, this year they had the Cult of the Lamb and the Stray Gods events at Fed Square. So stuff like that starting to pop up around and sort of make it, a, you know, if you, if you are coming from interstate, there's a bit more to just do outside of just the big three days at the show, which which is good, I think. So yeah, this year, story time, Erica uh, Ishii, who is a voice actor uh, in like Valorant uh, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and also, I'm going to screw it up. It's one of the big Dungeons and Dragons shows, but I was going to say Critical Role, but I don't think it's that one. Um, it's the only so, one I know, uh, but, so close enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely not that one, but anyway, um, very yeah. This was probably one of those more she was entertaining to listen to, from like a she's got a lot of high energy uh, and quite funny vibes. But it was not so much a story time. I felt like there were a few anecdotes here and there, but it was more just like chatting with the with the 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 interviewer. So a bit like <laughs> um, Among Us one, you weren't a huge fan of. Yeah, not not what I go for. Um, actually, she did come up on Critical Role's uh, Wikipedia, so I guess she's been on Critical Dim- Role. But I think Dimension, Dimension Twenty was what yes. I was what I was was going for. But you know, again, good again, first time we've had a voice actor, I think. <clears throat> so that's you know, again, more covering more aspects of game development that we haven't seen in previous years. And I'm losing my voice, so we're going to wrap up soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've, you've done heavy lifting this episode, Zach, so sorry about that. Yes, uh, that's all good. Um, and then, yeah, the end was the Omegathon was Punchables, which you've probably never heard of because it is a indie game from, I believe, Adelaide. Uh, so shout out to, to Locke there, your local local town. Yeah, um, sure, I'll take in, it. 
and discussed on the episode of Nintendvania we did. Yes, which um, yeah, it's basically a two D fighting game, but it's 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 kind of like if Arms from on Switch was a two D fighting game. Um, basically, you're these animals in these giant mechs with big heads is where your animal sits. Uh, and then you have two sort of jet-powered fists, and you sort of like press the triggers to fire the fists, use the sticks to make them go in different directions, uh, and then you can do other buttons to like make them sort of you know change trajectory and whatnot. And it's pretty simple. I'm sure once you play it a lot, there's a ton of depth there, similar to, again to Arms, but um, very very fun. I played that at the uh, Indie Rising area, but then very cool to see it as the finale because um, yeah, again puts on the big stage. Yeah, yeah. Locke, what did you think of that that final? Because it went, it was a good megathon. It went to like the final round. Yeah, it went like there's a slither. It could have gone either way. I think the guy that finished second last year also finished second as well, didn't he? Yes, yeah. He's so, had a bit of a streak. I think. Yeah. So it was like he was he was ahead, and then came behind and ahead, and then uh, he just lost it by the uh, the smallest of margins. Which I sort of called like on the, on the final sort of round sort of thing was hoping to happen to get my you know to get the, the most out of it, but it was just like hilarious to see that you know he was in the same situation as as he was last year. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think he even was in PAX Online twenty twenty one where he came second as well. So he's he's had a string of it. Um, that guy. So. I love the random selections they do. Yes. Uh, well, I think it's because he's come second. When you come second, you get brought back every year. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. And and his meme is he always has tongs for some reason. I don't know why, but he has tongs on the screen. Um, anyway, uh, he dropped his tongs this year uh, when, he, <laughs> when he walked on stage. Bad omen. Yes. Uh, the other thing, just very quickly, that was big about Nintendo was they held the Splatoon and Mario Kart 8 were national championships is probably the right term or regional. I'm not, not too sure. qualifiers or whatever, yeah. <laughs> Basically, so you qualified by playing online a few weeks beforehand and then the top winners played on Sunday at the big PAX arena. Um I didn't really get to check it out. I assume you didn't either, Brendan Locke. Did you did you watch any of the the matches? On? No, no I didn't. I, I was aware they were on, but um yeah, I didn't it clashed the something else that I had on. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, if I contrast this to the first PAX with the Pokemon tournament, I guess the good thing was A, they didn't try to do a whole tournament at PAX, which is mm-hmm. chaos because that takes up your whole packs. Um, and B, I guess you just qualified online. And if you won, you got free entry two packs. So there wasn't like the the cost prohibition of buying a ticket. Yeah, uh, which is good. Um, and I mean, the cool thing is the winners of that have gone on to uh, the World Championships in Japan in January at Nintendo Live. So that's that's kind of neat. Hopefully that, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't complain if that becomes a feature of the next few packs, these sort of big, Nintendo tournaments, whatever the multiplayer game of the of the year is, doesn't always yep. have to be Mario Kart and Splatoon. But uh, we'll see, I suppose. Or you know, will Nintendo Live come to Australia and they just divorce from PAX, or do they attach to PAX like Nintendo Live in America? Who knows uh, what's going to happen? But you know, I think it sounds like we're going to get a PAX Oz 2024. That makes me very happy. I'm very appreciative of this, these last ten years. I mean, the common theme that, you know, you mentioned mostly Locke at the start, but I think it's true for everyone is that community, that sense of just seeing people get to enjoy what they, you know, love in such a public way, surrounded by like-minded people is so good. Um, And it's, you know, why I hope we get to see more events like this, even if it's not packs, but like pop up around the world in places that are currently under 
underserviced because, you know, America's got a ton of it. You know, Europe's got a bunch. Asia's getting more. I think Gamescom uh, is happening in Singapore in a week or so or maybe this weekend. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's certainly pockets that I'm sure feel underserviced, underutilized and, and need this kind of thing to just sprout up in their, in their market. So, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much out of voice, so I don't have anything more to say. I'll throw to you, Locke, to say anything you want to finish up with, and then, Brendan, if you can kindly do the, the outro for us, because I will uh, break if I try. <laughs> oh, uh, thank you. I think the biggest thing that hit me this year was that when I was waiting in line to get in on the on the Fridays that when they showed that montage, and there was that sort of feeling is like I'm like it's sudden uh, feeling that you have this um, connectedness with everybody that's in that room at that time where, okay, it's been 10 years. Um, I didn't know where that time has gone, but also I've done so much in a, in a space that I can, I've been able to share with so many people, even if I have never interacted with them, with them before or after the fact, it was just like a surreal feeling to actually be there and actually share that with, every single person that was in that queue hall before entering and starting our, our amazing weekend that was awaiting for us. Yeah, I think that really captures the spirit of PAX so well because I, I had a similar feeling actually when I got because I, I got on a train from Shepparton to Melbourne on the Friday afternoon and that's when it sort of, by then I was like, oh yeah, PAX is on this weekend. But at that point I was like, oh, well, I probably won't get to go because I'm not in Melbourne for PAX. But I get off the train at Southern Cross Station and you just see all the people in their cosplay going like to and from the convention centre. And you, you just get struck by this feeling of, yeah, like these are my people. It's like I, I've never met any of these people in my life, but there there is that sense of there's a kindred, there's a kingship, that sense of a community that like you're all like you all have a similar interest, you all have a similar idea what like how you want to spend your spare time that you want to dress up in cosplay and go to a convention. You want to go to a convention and play some games at new and old games, play board games, hang out with friends. It's just, it's, it's this, it, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's its own microcosm. It's its own, um, it's its own entity. And I think it's, it's a lot of fun to be involved in. And I think, I think we're all, yes, PAX has changed a lot since 2013 at the showgrounds. It's changed a lot since, I'd say the height of, I think, the AAA presence in your 2016-17 period. It's changed a lot from the online PAXs of 2020-2021, but it's something I think we all want to keep on going to PAX. We all want to still be involved in PAX, and I think we're all intrigued on how it will develop going forward because I think it is a it's an ever-evolving entity. It's not just... And I think it'd be the same if we had gone to the American ones for 10, 15 years that these are conventions and expos that haven't remained the same, that they are always changing. And that's just a really exciting part of the hobby from my perspective. Yeah. I mean, as a, I mean, quickly shout out to the dark room, which has been at the last two packs, very fun comedy thing uh, based in the UK. So if you're in the UK, you might get to see him, but I think he said, you know, like packs, like the nerds have filled all of Melbourne from like here all the way to Carlton. And that's definitely the vibe you get when you're <laughs> yeah. in Melbourne that weekend. Um, yeah. Like even walking to dinner on Thursday night to, to meet, not you, Brendan, because you hadn't quite made it to us Whoa. yet, but everyone else. Oh, there. Brendan showing a photo of him with the, with the darkroom guy uh, in yeah, England, yeah, I assume not, not in Melbourne. 
It beat us to it. That was Edinburgh Fringe 2019, Edinburgh Fringe. Before it was cool here in Melbourne uh, <laughs> when he showed up at 2022. But uh, yeah, like you just walk around and you just see people wearing shirts that are like all gaming themed. You're like, I know why you're here. I know I know what, what, what this is about. No, very, very good. All righty, Brendan, why don't you uh, take us out? All right, I'll take us out into the outro. Uh, I'll ask um, out of courtesy, Locke, if... Uh, well, thank you. Firstly, Locke, thank you very much for jumping on for your first episode of the Blowing Cartridges podcast. Is That's right. Thank you very much for the invite. No, my, our pleasure, and hopefully we can get you on again in the near future. Uh, firstly, is there anything you'd like to shout out? Do you want... Are you findable on the internet? Do you want to be found, or are you happy to remain on the down low? I'm, I'm happy to sort of be under the radar, but be involved in the community that I, I sort of feel at home with. So going on a podcast like this has sort of gone, like sort of reflecting at the same time as well. It's sort of been a surreal journey in a sense there. So thank you very much for allowing me to ride this train. Yeah. But yeah, otherwise I'm not findable on the internet, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, our pleasure, Locke. We, no. we, we always appreciate your contributions and it, it was good to get someone who's been along the journey with us for the last 10 or over 10 years now as always if you want to find us on the internets because well we we do hope to grow our audience so we we do want to be findable uh you can find the podcast at blowcart pod on x the platform formerly known as twitter that you can email us on gmail at blowcart blowing at gmail.com uh we're at blowcart pod on facebook you can find me at Tamazoid on Twitter slash X, and you can find Zach at Eggerino. These are all in the show notes as always. Uh, I think I hit them all, Zach, didn't I? That's sort of... Yeah, you did. Now we got that. That's, that's oh, of course, leave a review, <laughs> leave a five-star review on any podcasting review service. Tell your friends, tell your enemies to watch, listen. Actually, you can't watch it. We're audio only. Listen to Blowing Cartridges podcast and... Tune in soon for our next episode, which we actually are back to more or less a fortnightly um, release schedule again. You have something to look forward to. So as always, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Locke, for coming on for the first time. And as always, Zach, thanks for co-hosting. No worries. And everyone, please spam Audio Technica to get us into their live recording next year. PAX, thank you. Thank you. But maybe don't because they might not let me in if if they do that. (laughs) 